You're listening to So Much Pingle, the podcast about herpetology, field herping, and anything and everything about amphibians and reptiles. Join us each week as Mike and his guests explore the amazing world of herps across our planet. And now, bringing a half century of experience and perspective to the microphone, here's your host, Mike Pingleton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. Mike Pingleton here, and I am your host for these proceedings. And here we go with episode 84, and I hope you all remain safe and healthy out there. It's really good to be back in the recording studio after a long absence, and uh, I really appreciate everyone's patience while I was out having a good time. I spent several weeks in Thailand, almost three weeks, on a herping trip that started in Bangkok and finished at the southern tip of the country on the border with Malaysia. Uh, and uh, I saw some amazing herbs and other wildlife along the way, uh, including lots of pit vipers. And uh, uh, one of the highlights was the Waggler's pit viper for me. That's one of those bucket list serpents I've had for years. Now, before we get to the episode, I want to give a shout out to the show's newest patron, Darren Riedel. Thank you, Darren. And I'm sure you all remember my conversation with Darren back in episode 78. Uh, That was a fun one, and I get a lot of comments about that show still. So thank you so much, Darren, for supporting the show and for taking part as well. And as always, I want to thank all of the show's patrons who help to keep the show moving forward. And uh, supporting the podcast is easy to do, and there are several ways to do so. You can use Patreon like Darren, or you can make a one-time donation. But I will tell you more about that at the end of the show. So this episode arises out of some singular events that happened in Peru earlier this year. Um, I was down there as per usual with Matt Cage for three separate herp tours, uh, two in January, which were back to back. And so Matt and I just stayed down in Peru for most of the month. And then we had a third trip in February. The crazy bit is that we encountered seven Bushmasters across the three trips, one on the first, five on the second, and one on the last trip in February. Now, usually we're just happy to get one Lachesis muta on an expedition. You know, there's no denying that the chance to see a Bushmaster is a big draw for our clients. And uh, sometimes we may even find two. But during our second trip, after five Bushmasters were found, uh, I decided that I really needed to record uh, with some of the folks involved and, you know, attempt to capture some of their experiences. So here they come. Jill and Michael, then Jeff and Burke, and finally, Rich and me. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. And uh, once again, I am talking to you from the rainforest in the uh, Peruvian Amazon. And I'm sitting on the back deck of a tambo overlooking our lagoon as per usual. And my guests today are Michael Moffat and Jill Riles, a.k.a. the hippies. That's what we call them. And uh, it's good to have you both on the show. Jill, good to have you back on the show. You made an appearance very early on in, in the So Much Pingle episode. Yes, yes, I did. Very, very glad to be back, Mike. Very glad. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you. So um, it's it's been fun hanging out with you guys, as always, uh, here in Peru. And uh, uh, this is not your first trip. This is your second trip down. Yes. We would have been back a lot sooner. Right when we got back, COVID hit. So from, yes. from our first trip, yeah. yeah, we got to the airport and found out about the whole thing going on. So yeah, we're glad to be back. We couldn't wait to get back down here. And the rest, they say, is history. <laughs> yes. 
Well, I wanted I wanted to talk to you uh, too uh, about a singular experience you you had down here. Actually, we can talk about a number of things, but I want to focus at first on a singular experience you had, and um, that is uh, with the a uh, Bushmaster. Yes. <laughs> and uh, at this, we are we have three days left in this trip, and we have accumulated a total of five Bushmasters. It's still, I, it's it's unbelievable to say that out loud. It's just that's a trip, and that's that's a record, right, Mike? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> say that again for the say that again for the people in back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, the I, previous record was four last year, which is crazy. That in itself was nuts, and I didn't think we'd top that. But uh, uh, to date, we with three full days or four full days left, we have uh, five Bushmasters. Five Bushmasters. Big. Trip. Big Bushmasters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you guys want to tell your story of your Bushmaster experience. So, uh, so set us, uh, let us set it up, and let's get going with that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for those of us who do know us, I mean, we're you know we're we're from Arizona, so um, a lot of experiences with uh, rattlesnakes, big rattlesnakes, even. And we, you know, we hurt Florida and all that good stuff. We've you know handled some eastern diamondbacks and stuff but you know we stick with what we know and uh we had talked about it a lot you know both trips just coming down you know if we if we did you know come up on a big uh uh or you know one of the fertile ants something like that you know, we had decided you know one of us would stay with the animal one of us would run back and get somebody we didn't want to handle it and, oh so you two have already discussed this yes yeah. Yep. yeah safety first i mean we're out here <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and we're not only jacking ourselves we're jacking everybody else's trip and we don't want to take risks with you know these big animals and so uh but uh we were out herping i think uh this was night two we were out herping and uh just on our own and um, we heard a, you know, we, we were walking one of the trails, right? Yeah. Yeah. We were just walking one of the trails and, um, we, we started hearing this just weird sound. We knew it was human, but it, it wasn't like, they weren't words. It was like a hope. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, what is this? And of course you started doing your, you know, go ahead. <laughs> uh, which one did I, do? I think? Was... The tukey tukey. Oh, I... yeah. He has to do his bird call back, <laughs> of course. Oh, let me hear the bird call. Okay, okay. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that sounds just like a bird. Yeah. That so, way they know it's a human, you know. Yeah. In, in yeah. <laughs> so anyways, um, it kept getting louder, kept getting closer. And then just out of nowhere, Luis just comes barreling actually through the jungle. He's not on trail. He's coming through the jungle. We saw the light and um, he's like, Bushmaster, Bushmaster, Bushmaster. I'm like, Grande. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Now, we before, before we go any farther, we have, we have to say who Luis is. Oh, yes. He's one, one, of our, one of our crew down here that come and help us uh, run the show. And he is the man. He had bought, brought in a, I mean, what, what would you say that Kribo was the day before he had brought in? Oh, yeah. Same day. Six foot plus. Yeah. Big, big as your wrist, Kribo. Yeah, which was our first indigo. So we're already like, you know, totally fangirling over this guy. And I mean, he he runs out of the forest saying that. And we're like, oh, gosh. And I think <laughs> both of our hearts just stopped because... We didn't have our tongs. Uh, we had, that's why he was coming too. Is he? They didn't have tongs. Uh, we just had hooks. And so yeah. Luis was out with a couple of the other crew. Yep. yep. Yeah. Segundo and uh, you know. Uh, I think Osnar was there. Yeah. So, um, anyways, so I would say I don't know. We were probably maybe a quarter mile from uh, from camp, and we all just start running. We're like, okay, we're just 
running as fast as we can back to camp to try to find tongs. We had given our tongs to Matt because he was out on the riverboat and he needed them for boas and, you know, whatever they'll say saw up there. Uh, so, I mean, we're running. And, and for any of you who, who know us hippies, we're not exactly known for our, our athleticism. So <laughs> this, this was rough. So we get back to camp. Um, Mike's gone. Matt's gone. And Brian uh, is gone as well, you know, and he, the three people that our plan was to grab, <laughs> should we find one, are nowhere to be found. And uh, and actually, when we were running, I'm yelling. I'm like, Mike and Egon. Every, I call it Brian Hughes Egon. That's that's his nickname. And, of course, <laughs> nobody's answering. Uh, so we get back. We're just barreling through every tambo trying to find tongs and we get all the way up to the very last one and there's some tongs out there so then we run all the way back and no uh, more tuki tuki yeah no, no more tuki tuki a lot of heavy breathing yes <laughs> heavy breathing and just just tons of adrenaline um you know we didn't know what size it was going to be you know obviously uh we didn't even ask Luis. you know was it big was it, we just we just were running and so we come up around Luis because he got he's he's much faster than us uh we come up and i see Luis standing there and i walk around and Luis had given segundo the um the tongs and my, i i think both i i've never felt such fear and excitement <laughs> in my life because that animal was massive i mean I think I I would easily say seven seven eight feet, yeah. and very heavy bodied animal. Um, and luckily, Segundo had um, had the animal, you know, uh, can not contained at that time, but he had uh, the tongs on it. Um, her actually, we we know it's a her now. Uh, so he had the tongs on her, and the adventure then really began. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had one of those parachute uh, nylon snake bags. The not much thicker or wider than the snake itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I, it, it, it was intense. I mean, I would say it probably took us a good, I don't know, maybe ten minutes to get her to get her in the bag. Um, it was really, it was a lot. I mean, very, very strong animal. She was, um, she obviously she was trying to, she was trying to get away. She wasn't um, striking. Or anything like that. It wasn't like it was a very. It was a very interesting behavior. I would have expected a lot more, uh, you know, striking, and she didn't. She did not strike at all. No, they just typically try to, to get away. Yeah, she's just trying to get away. She probably talk uh, too. Just as a side note, that you know, we we're not we don't we we've seen five bushnasters, but we did not catch all five bushnasters. Nope. Yes, there's, there's no need for us to do that. If should we find another one tonight, we probably won't catch it. We'll just take pictures of it, and and uh, whoever can get to to see it can see it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, catching a bushmaster, um, we do some of that because. People come down here to see Bushmasters, so we want to make sure that everybody in the group can see at least one Bushmaster. So yeah, this is the first one of the trip in camp. So yeah, yeah, and it was a magnificent animal. I think later we measured it at right about eight feet. Yeah, so. she was she was a big animal. And can I can I tell everybody the name? Yeah, we named her. Uh, I haven't met you now yet, <laughs> M Mrs. Pingleton. I have not met you yet, but uh, I've always when I found out uh, your name was Nell, I just I got all giddy. I, I absolutely love that name. I almost named my first child Mel, and uh, I did. I didn't, and 
but I've always loved it. And so we named that amazingly magnificent creature Nell. So <laughs> I hope you take it as a compliment. <laughs> she will. She will. Yeah. When I get back, I'll let her know. So <laughs> Yeah. So um I mean it took it took a lot, but I they're mean, both magnificent beasts. So. <laughs> yes, 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 they are. And, and I know, and I can't wait to to meet the other other magnificent lady Nell. So yeah, uh, yeah. So we 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 finally we we got her in a bag and um Well, let's you know, here's the situation. You have uh the local crew who are not they are here to to help us. They're not necessarily big big snake catchers. Yeah. Um and so they're looking to you guys for guidance and okay. and, and this you you're you're the leaders now and now you've got to figure out how to catch how to a bushmaster that is way too big to be uh handled in in the normal manner so you had yeah. to do some some fancy work with a big bag and some hooks and uh, and tongs to get it in the bag. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know what? And I, I'm not one to toot my own horn, but I, I was um, really proud of how we did. We kind of, we flipped that switch really quick. We, we you know, um, we were both like, anytime the guys would get uh, too close with their hands, if they would try to grab them, you know, the the bag with their hands were like, no fingers, no fingers, no fingers, you know? So um, the, it kind of was eye-opening because I was, I was so afraid of doing it myself because I ha I don't have any experience with any, you know, no lapids or um, any of the, you know, the Bushmaster or the Fertile Ants. And I don't know their behaviors. And I, I, I always, I like my fingers. I want to keep them. I want to be safe. And but so it was, it was, I was proud of that, that the training that we've had all these years kind of kicked in and we were able to get that animal contained safely without incident. Oh. Michael, you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, and there was a language barrier too. So yeah, we tried to keep it minimal as far as what directions were going. <laughs> and yeah, I sl I slapped one of their hands. I felt really bad. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't understand the no finger rule. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well, no. But you guys, I mean, uh, you know, you you guys work for Rattlesnake Solutions. So you you guys, you know, shameless plug. <laughs> um, but you guys have experience with the dangerous animals, mm -hmm. so you're not coming from zero. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But it, but it is a step up to to do this in an unfamiliar environment, for sure. And uh, you know, I mean, and we do. We have because um, we have the education animals, so we have our own collection, and we have um, you know a big eastern diamondback. So we ha we do have that experience, but. Um, when we do handle them, I'm Uber either in, in a yard or it is a very controlled setting. And I would say that made it much more intense that there was a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Yeah. That was that was a major thing is just trying to get at least some of the guys because when we went ran back into camp, of course, the other the other members of the crew that were still um at camp that night, they got excited and they followed us out there. So there were a lot of people out there. And that's that's one thing, even when we're doing removals at home, um, when we show up, um, the fear kind of leaves the the homeowner or the client. Um, they feel safe now because we're there and they whenever they, they're like, can we watch? And we're, yeah, of course you can watch. Well, it's amazing how close they'll just inch in, inch in, inch in. And many times we do, we're like, you're fine watching, but we need our space too. Because if, you know, for whatever reason, if we do lose control of the animal, we need some room to, to work, you know? 
Right. So and it was it was kind of like right. that. So so you don't you don't want and you don't want layers of people. If you have a big crowd, it can be uh, with an animal like like a big rattlesnake or or like in this case a bushmaster. It's not going to coil up or strike, but it is trying to get away. So you don't know where it's going to go. So you don't want people stumbling back over people behind them or anything like that. So you, you have to sometimes you have to bark at people and say, okay, I don't want anybody coming any closer than this while while we manipulate this animal. Yeah. So. And we're going to learn Spanish. We've already, yeah. we've already decided we need, <laughs> the language barrier was a bummer, but, um, you know, I was, I, I was so proud of them too. I mean, they, they did, like I said, you know, every once in a while they would, you know, just instinctively go to try to grab the bag. But I mean, they were, they were amazing. They were absolutely amazing. And they were so, oh, they were so proud. These guys come down here they, they, they help us. And they're just, they work so hard to just to please us all and bring us in all these animals that, you know, so we can see them while, and they're proud of them. You know, you can tell they are so proud of the country and the, um, the folks they have here, all of it, the birds, the bugs. I mean, they're out there. I would honestly say they're out there more than, or more time than a lot of us are, you know, that we're, we don't even know they're gone. So they're out there cooking for us and they're looking for her. So these, these guys are just absolutely amazing. Yeah, and so the whole experience for catching it has, you know, you've you've got to care for the animal. Obviously, yes. animal safety and and uh, physical uh, well being is is tight amount. So, you know, like I said, we we don't catch all of them. We don't want to catch all of them, uh, but uh, when we do, we do it with uh, great care. Um, Bushmasters have the triangular body, which means that your your typical snake tongs that might work. If you're putting a Western Diamondback into a bucket, uh, those tongs come into play for that. You know, you're not tonging the animal constantly or grabbing it by the head or anything like that. But those tongs are the necessary tool to put it in the bucket. In the bucket. And yeah. here it's a little different. Yes. Yeah. I, and and that is. I mean, it was. It's. It was a totally different handling style thing that we we just had to do because we had never done it before um but because we don't i don't tail we we just don't have animals that we really need to you know at home um and and i do i have these short little t-rex arms so i don't handle a lot of our, our big stuff at home you know i have i have the hippie he's really good at it he's great at double hooking and um you know but even when you know when we were photographing her you know when she decided she wanted to move she's at least I I didn't do it. You 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 know you and Matt kind of take over when when we're doing photography and all that good stuff. And um, but when you guys would try to double hook her, she it it doesn't seem to work well. It's not the same as with the the rattlesnakes. When you get the um the double hook on the on the snakes, it's and by double hooking, on. we're we're talking about supporting the snake's body in two different places with hooks. Yes, we don't push. We don't use hooks to like press down on an animal or. Hooks are only there to support the, the animal's support weight. Support the body weight, exactly. Yeah, yeah for sure. But in so. case of this monster, it was a tri triple hook <laughs> yeah. snake. We, we, need a third we arm. didn't have a third arm, yeah, yeah. but it was definitely could have used it. But she just did. She just wouldn't. She wouldn't. She would not have stayed on. We, you know, just watching you guys work with her when we we're doing the um the, the photography. She's just it. She doesn't. She didn't seem to stay on like the other guys do. So it's a big pilot muscle that just wants to go where it wants to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you think she weighed, Mike? Um, I'm I'm right in at maybe twenty pounds. Yeah, I, um, I was maybe a little lighter, but that was, was one of the heaviest Bushmasters I've encountered. Yeah. Usually they're maybe ten, twelve pounds, and but she was she had a lot of 
mass to her. Yeah, and big, we beautiful. We did manage to. Um, we took some data off this snake too. We did. We didn't waste our opportunity. We uh, we managed to to. Um, uh, uh, our our buddy Andrew got uh, a sex. We got her in a tube, her head in the tube, and we got uh, her length. And we we didn't have a scale, so we couldn't get her weight. But we managed to sex her and uh, with a um, uh, probe. We managed to probe her and figure out she was a female. Um, so that was that was good. Yeah. Uh, but to handle her, to, you know, so there's a photo session, and of course your your cat, your guys that help you catch it were interested. They want to get a photo of the, 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 they're so proud of the thing they, they got. So we, we set up a photo session, but you're right. You can't really hook that thing around. Um, well, you know, we, we kind of set, you know, uh, the bag goes under a big plastic container and then we pull the bag out and then let the animal settle down. And then we lift off the container, uh, and, and see what we, we have for a photo. So we try to keep that, disturbance to a minimum but there was a point and that is that's awesome i, re I really admire you guys for that too because even you know when that when the the container came up off of her you know she probably wasn't in the most ideal position for um you know for the ideal photo but where she was she stayed and and i i like you know i mean she's already stressed she had a very intense night. I know we could have done better to make that, <laughs> to make that easier on her if we had some training. But you know, I, I like I like that aspect of it. I thought that was good. You know, I know a, a couple of people were like they wanted maybe some lifted head or something like that, and you guys were great about just saying, you know, no, no, she's doing good. She's sitting there, and, and that, she, we're getting what we're getting out of her. And she was she gave good photo, yeah. really good photo. So. Like well, but we did have to manipulate her. Unfortunately, you know, it, it comes down to the snake wants to to go, and it need, we need to put the snake right back where it came from. We just can't let it go there at the photo spot. So, yes. so we did. We had to do some, or I had to do some hook and tailing. So, um, <clears throat> to get her back. Yeah, there. an eight foot snake is kind of difficult to hook and tail, but you know, you you're very trying to manipulate it very, and it's really the safe, safest way to do it. Um, to keep the head of the animal. Eight feet away from you, yeah. basically. Yeah. Uh, and support her body with a hook, and then get, get her back in the, into a position, or to get her back in the bag too at the end mm -hmm. of it all. So those are important. And uh, uh, when you guys uh, capture this, you had to have people with hooks to keep the bag open, right? To, yeah. And um, we had you know a, a tiny set of tongs that we were using to kind of hold that. Um, hold one corner open. But um, again, you know, hindsight, everything was happening so fast. It was hard. And again, with that language barrier, that that was really hard because there were just so many um, people trying to help and they they had tools, they all had hooks. So um, there was a lot of clinking and tangling and all that <laughs> stuff. But, um, you know, just holding, getting it open and making sure that she, you know, she was all the way down in there before um, Segundo actually went ahead and released um let the tongs off of her and, and all that good stuff so but it, it took us a minute I, I can't lie but but she was good you know and it was that was one thing i was super worried about because um like you said their their um, bodies are very different than rattlesnakes and um i did not i would have preferred to have been uh holding those tongs so i knew her the pressure was right. I don't. I didn't know in my head. I'm like, I don't know what how much experience Segundo's had with tongs, and and you can hurt them. Um, so I was extra relieved when we got her, you know, out for photographs to see, you know, check her. And I mean, she was there was no problems, or she was 
she looked exactly like we saw out there when we found her and um you know there wasn't any injuries i was worried about that for sure well there's another we we kind of skipped over this part but um you you have a bushmaster in the bag and you're back in the in the forest somewhere how do you get it back safely uh we went with a double bag hook hobo system <laughs> yeah we did we double bagged her and i i had to apologize to mike about a hundred times for the knots i tied a lot of knots in that so you, you tied the bag to a, a hook a, a snake uh well stick? first the the long snake bag we tied into or we put two knots in it in case the first knot didn't work well <laughs> <laughs> then, we weren't messing around. And then uh, we decided uh, one of the other guys had uh, a pillowcase, so we put it all in a pillowcase, tied that to the hook, and then that kind of kept it away from the body. So you had to hold the the hook with the pillowcase out in front. Yeah, the 20-pound snake about three, two three feet away from me at the end of the hook. Yeah. That After a while, that had to be rather excruciating. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the trails are not... Uh, paved or anything Very slippery yeah <laughs> slick trails uh yeah with it's it's a lot to try and so now we're we're talking about a transport protocol yeah you know you know keeping people far enough away from the animal behind you and in front of you yep. so that in the uh you know the animal can be safely transported without you falling onto it or it swinging back on you yeah or slipping and just putting the whole thing in your lap yeah well and he's not <laughs> he he can't he needs the he needs to pay attention to what he's doing. I mean, he can't be looking for snakes. So I stayed out in front because we could run into another snake, you know, just on trail. So I stayed in front. I tried to help. There was no carrying that snake. I'm a weakling. I know this now. I need to work out. But yeah, she was she was heavy, especially just having her like way out there on that hook. So I just stayed out in front um, and watched for any other snakes that might be in the trail on the way back and uh, carry her all the way back. He was to say we were smet we were really sweaty and gross by the time we got back. Fortunately, adrenaline helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, we were excited. We were really excited. We were so excited. And we all got back and um, you know, the crew there, I mean, we love it when they hang out with us. I love it. I mean, they they tell a story. Luckily we tell us stories and stuff. Luckily we have a couple of people, you know, down here that do speak. Uh, Spanish so that they can translate for us and translate and all that good stuff. But we got back and um, we bought all the guys beers yeah. and uh, <laughs> took selfies. And, I mean, shushupa! I mean, we were just all going nuts. So, so it was it was it was it was actually kind of a cool experience too because we couldn't communicate like via language, but we were all on the same level, man, and, and we were just having a good time. It was just a bonding moment. Yeah, it absolutely yeah. was. You know, and yeah, it was it was great. It was, Shush so we should explain too that shishupe yeah. is the local term for bushmaster. Yes, yes. The indigenous people's name for it, yeah. bushmaster. Yeah. So. so yeah, it was it was great. And then um, Matt actually let uh, Hippie and I do the release, and so we got to actually take her out. And after you know after that the the whole experience, obviously we felt a lot more comfortable being able to to do it. And um, and we took her out, and oh god. Uh, just see her. I, I do. I just. I. I don't. You guys can't see me, but I'm just sitting here, just grinning from ear to ear, just thinking about it. She's just so beautiful, and just opening up that bag, and again, not flighty at all. She just kind of, you know, falls out of the bag, and well, the look on it's, a lot of people had seen him before, but the look on everybody's face when that big pile of snake comes rolling <laughs> out of the bag is <laughs> just, yeah, it's like this.
good. And we got yeah. to watch her. I mean, she didn't take off or anything. We just kind of, so we released her and then we weren't going to do any more photos with her or anything like that. She, she, she'd done her part to make this trip great. So we were just going to let her go. And, um, uh, at the capture point. Yeah. 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 yeah we took her all the way back, um, and, uh, opened up that bag. She crawled out and we watched her, you know, we just backed off and, um, watched her kind of see what she was doing. And she just uh, cruised off into the forest. And... Nothing had ever happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the best part though? When you, when you watch them yeah. go, go away, away. And they just sit there, taste the air, look at you. And... Yeah. They know they yeah. they know they're one of the tops in the jungle, I and mean, you can definitely sense it. <laughs> yeah, and I and I do. I always wonder if I'm anthropomorphizing there or not, but they they do, and it, it may be, but I don't know. They just they have this confidence about them. It seems like even when we're photographing, it's like they they're allowing it to happen, <laughs> and who knows? That might be a girl thing, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they, they definitely um they they're not you know. Much like, I mean, you guys talk about this to the general public all the time about rattlesnakes and you, part of what you do is you not only re, uh, relocate rattlesnakes, but you also educate the public on what, you know, the snake is not there to attack you or, you know, and these things, uh, Bushmasters don't coil up and strike or anything. They, they may, they may coil up, but they don't, they don't strike at you or come at you. Most of the time they just want to go. They just yeah. want to get away. Yeah. Um, and these guys, I mean, I mean, every, so like, uh, we got, we were lucky enough to get one on our last trip as well. Um, and I've never seen one strike is they, they can be flighty. Um, but all of them were just they're It's a very calm animal. It's, they're not, it, they're very different from rattlesnakes for sure. Very different from it, my opinion. They seem very different, but yeah, it's incredible. Incredible. I'm never leaving. <laughs> I live here now. <laughs> See if they can find me. Yeah. <laughs> the sloth clan. <laughs> the sloth clan. I like that. Oh, yeah. Built for comfort, not for speed. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I know. I can't. I can't even imagine what Louis was singing, having us try to keep up with him. We're like, go, go. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Uh, they're fast. They are fast. Yeah. But, but we do need to find one more bushmaster. We do have one. Uh, some, you know, Jake and Lindsay just came in late so they they didn't get to go to madre salva so they need to we gotta yeah. get them one so we gotta find one we more so they can one. see it yeah yeah you need to tell your experience you had a unique experience with your bushmaster yeah well time. i'm gonna tell that a little later ah, on okay so uh um, but yeah and uh uh we have some other people to talk need to talk about their experience as well like this is insane you have all these people to talk about like <laughs> how was your bushmaster well, how was your bushmaster it's, yeah it's, it's not bushmasters for everyone like and no it's, it's like yeah. oprah winfrey yeah. you know no, everybody's got a bushmaster under their seat uh wouldn't that be cool uh yeah no fertilance <laughs> yet and, and uh a few things were missing but uh, at, at one point during the trip the we had more seen more bushmasters than any other kind of species of snake, which is really weird. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll take it. Yeah, yeah I ain't yeah. mad at it. Fair trade. <laughs> ain't mad at it. No. Yeah. How's the rest of the trip going? Oh. Awesome. All the food's so good. Yeah. 
Yeah, everybody takes so such good care of us. Love it. Yeah, there's oh, the people here. What what's what are the other good herbs that, that you've see, been enjoying? You know what? I this uh trip, you know, because I was so hyper focused. I mean, everybody's hyper focused on the Bushmaster when they're coming down here. And I I mean, specifically snakes for me. I mean, I was so hyper focused on just finding snakes and seeing snakes last time. Um I really wanted to focus on uh the amphibians this time and Peru gives good frogs. I mean, God, you can't just, you know, my, oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. The, my main, uh, uh, target for the, the fibs was the, uh, the glass frog. And Andrew was able to wrangle one of those up for me the other night and absolutely beautiful little critter, uh, clown tree frog. We got that. Um, as far, yeah, I'm just really, really enjoying the amphibians this time. What about you? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I put you on the spot. I put, <laughs> he's a man of few words. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but when he has something to say, it's usually pretty darn good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I save him. I save him. Yeah. It takes me a while to come up with things. Yeah. And, and I, red, the red vine, the red vine. I love those. That's probably, that's my, probably my favorite cool word down here. Sephlophus compressus. Yeah. Those yeah. are rad. Those, those are really, really cool. Really. That's the snake. And I, I tell this to people a lot but that's that's that snake there's a picture of that snake in harry green's book uh snakes in the evolution of mystery in nature mm -hmm. yeah there's yeah. a picture of that snake in that book and when i saw that snake uh that was a snake that really <clears throat> prodded me into thinking i have to i have to start traveling really i have to i that's need to go one. to peru i need to see this this animal that was a snake uh, and if you've seen a red, uh, Syphilophus compressus, the red vine snake, if you've seen one, you know what I'm talking about. They're absolutely magnificent, magnificent serpent. So, but that was sort of the, uh, the, really the thing that got me off my buttons, you know, decided I, I needed to see more, more of the world and more, more of the world of herps, you know, in other places. So thanks, Harry. Appreciate that. <laughs> this trip, I mean, you know, the, the, you know, the first time we came down here, that was our first, uh, time doing a big herb trip like this i mean like i said we go to florida all the time and uh you know herf there and different you know places in the states but um we've never gone out of country to, to herp which is actually kind of stupid when you think about it or next door to mexico like give me a break but we hadn't and uh when we came down here and did this trip that kind of it, it it opened the floodgates now yeah, going, you guys have been to mexico wouldn't yeah you? both sides we did baba we did sonora um yeah so it you know, I mean, either you're going to be an addict or you're going to find out, nah, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. Yeah. We're, yeah. We and it's, it's, like it. it's, you know, this kind of comes off as a commercial in a way for this trip. And I said it before, it's like, oh, you know, I really, we don't really need to advertise the yeah, trip. No. It's, it's full every year. Um, it, so I don't mind talking about it. I don't feel like, um, it's, it's I, hard. I it's, actually, business, it's not hard. Know? It's impossible not to, yeah. you know, because of how well we are taken care of and the herbs we get to see the experiences we get to have, like we saw electric eels, you know, I mean, just come on. I mean, just that kind of stuff, pink, doll, the pink river dolphins, that kind of stuff, you know, it's just, it, it, it's impossible not to talk about it and make it I swear to God, he didn't ask us to come on here. Please talk <laughs> about the trip. <laughs> the cool thing down here is, you know, things have adjectives in front of their names. We have electric yield, yes. and we have pink <laughs> dolphins. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, so. and the, just the, it, you started out by getting on the Amazon River. I mean, it's 
ever since I yeah. was a kid. That's that's where it's at. That's where it's all. That's where everything happens. <laughs> you know? Yeah, the whole thing is it, just it's so surreal. It's in every documentary you've ever seen, and you're, and you're sitting on a, in a boat on it. What is happening right now? And and it, I don't think it'll ever not be that way when we get on, you know, on that boat to come out here. You know, and then you get into the rainforest and start walking deep into old growth with the, with the big trees and. Uh, there's nobody else but you out there. Yes. Maybe a few yes. Bushmasters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I saw yesterday, I saw my first plane fly over in both trips. I don't, this is, that was the first plane. <laughs> so that's our only little connection there to the. Yeah. And the, we got, you know, we got to do the village again. And that honestly is probably my favorite part of the trip, you know, getting to go see those beautiful people and trade with them. And, um, you know, I got to see, uh, I, I met a little, there's one little boy at that village that he's just, he's really outgoing. He's got a, just a great little personality on him. He's the first one at the boat when it, when we came up last time. What's his name? Nico. That's, that's so you saw Nico boat. last year yes, or last him. time? Yep. I saw Nico last time and uh, he just lost his two front teeth and all that <laughs> good stuff. And um, I, he, he liked my braids. So he kept playing with my hair. And so I just, what I just fell in love with the kid. And and it was really cool, you know, because, you know, like I said, COVID hit right after we got back. And I know Akitos got hit really hard with COVID. And so, you know, of course, I was wondering, you know, how did COVID affect that village? Did it make it all the way out there? Um, and as far as, you know, Christoph said, it didn't, which I was incredibly thankful for, of course. But um, when the first time you guys came back after COVID, somebody had posted some pictures of um the village visit and i and there's nico i saw him and i my oh god my heart just lit up i was so excited to see his perfect little face and um so we got to go you know go out there again this trip and sure enough he's the first one at the boat and uh, got some more pictures with did him. did he remember you yeah 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 he did at least Aww. he seemed to at least yeah. he seemed to so he, he followed me around like he did yep. last time. So it was great. Like we did a, uh, this time we did a picture with all the adults, you know, all the, um, the, the ladies that had come out to trade with us and all that good stuff. And he was the only kid that hopped up there and ha- sat next to me and, and got a, got pictures. With oh, us. he knew yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So it nice. was cool. I, and the, it was so neat. Like his little teeth have come in. So, you know, I have that little age progression and. <laughs> <laughs> stuff so he was a lot more stoic this time he didn't do he's grown up teethy grin yeah yeah he the, now he's suave yeah the man nico suave <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so i'll have to get you that picture you'll love it, it it's, it's tough. i saw one picture uh, with the, the girl with a lollipop in her mouth and oh yeah the smile on her face they was, they was just priceless. go nuts yeah. over the candy it's fun. And you know, it's, it's, you know, I, I get some crap from people when we got back that first time for doing that, you know, bringing them candy and stuff like that. And I'm like, and guys, you know, they get, they get candy twice a year, you know, give me a break. You know? Yeah. And they love it. They get so excited and they're, they're just, all the ladies were so thankful, you know, giving hugs and stuff like that. It's, it's just That's a nice. beautiful experience, you know, yeah. and getting to see how they live their lives. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a yeah. beautiful life that they, they live, you know, it's simple and, and they're all happy. They're, they all are really healthy and they love their children yeah. just like us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like beautiful people that we're lucky enough to get to meet. 
Yeah, that was the other neat thing with the trading. Uh, there were, we had a lot of stuff to trade, so if if they we wanted to make sure they got what they wanted for the trade and kept offering solos and they wanted the clothes for the kids. Yeah. So they wanted cl the clothes for the kids rather than money. Yeah. Yeah. They, 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 for their kids, yeah. for their kids, we brought adult stuff that would, I mean, just a ton of people. So for this, for this trip, because I knew we were going, um, we actually packed a box <laughs> of stuff that, you know, like uh, last time I had brought some Pringles with me and I shared some with the crew and they just went nuts over the Pringles. So I brought, you know, so I wanted to make sure to bring stuff that I knew that they enjoyed um, down with us. So this time we're like, okay, you know, let's just get a box and we'll just, you know, just ship it like that with, uh, you know, just like check baggage and whatnot. And uh, so we did that. We brought Pringles down and then I, I have to say that the box you had, which was just <laughs> a square cardboard box wrapped all the way around with, with plastic. It looked like it had fallen out of a Cessna into the ocean. <laughs> you know, yeah. suspicious-looking bale. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was somewhat suspicious when we checked it and seen it. But when we got to Lima, it had... Well, obviously, uh, cust customs had gone to it. But, uh, um, so it was split open, uh, and it was set on a cart aside from everything else. So we were just standing there waiting for it, and it was sitting right next to us. But uh, in Lima, has the bag wrapping machine. Yeah, so it must it. be something that people do quite often. They're at the airports. You just oh yeah, there are these oh, like this plastic wrap stuff that you can go in and tape stuff up. I had never seen that in the airport. Yeah, before, so. so you you taped it back up or yeah, wrapped that's it all back the up. red stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. so we we did that. We I made a Facebook post, you know, telling just letting people know, hey. We're doing this. If you guys have any, you know, kids clothes you'd like to to donate, and oh my gosh, I mean, I unfortunately I wasn't able to bring bring it all. And it was so great. They gave us just a ton of stuff for the kids, and um, you know, for everybody. But like like you know, like Hippie said, the adults weren't taken. They didn't want solos. They really didn't take a lot of the adult stuff. Um, they they wanted the stuff for their kiddos. So and the kiddos loved it too. We got pictures of them, like them holding up their. Uh, uh, the like the little nightgowns and the pictures and stuff that they that they got that they liked and yeah it's, it's so fun yeah 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 it's a that's a good, good moment everybody's happy yeah so. yeah for sure and I had to leave <laughs> like get out oh, wow. go you gotta go you can't stay here <laughs> but. well well thanks for coming on the show and and talk talking about your experience um, yes thank you for having us and thank you for. Making that, uh, making that happen. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm gonna, we're gonna cut it off here because I have two more people, at least two more, to interview about their experiences with Bushmasters here. So it's an embarrassment of riches. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't mind being greedy. Let's do it. Let's get some more. <laughs> Thanks, Jill. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. <laughs>
Hey there, everyone. I'm back again. This time I have Jeff and Berkeley Martineau. Welcome to the show, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. It's good to talk to you again. You, of course, have been on the show before. We talked about your adventures your adventures as the Catch It Brothers yes. on your YouTube channel. Yes, indeed. So uh, you guys are veterans of the show. It's good to have you back. And uh, I want to talk to you about a particular experience uh, and then we'll take it. We'll, we can go away from, and do other things from there. But we want to first talk about your your experience, your first experience with a bushmaster. So, Jeff, why don't you start take and uh, give us your your thoughts and what happened, and then Mark you drum it and whenever it's appropriate. Uh, but uh, we're we're down here for uh, eleven or ten days in the in the Amazon and uh, with a group of people, and uh, uh, this. P- particular night, uh, I'm going to set up just a little bit. Uh, particular night, uh, you and Burke and I and uh, Brian and Liz were, uh, I think that was it, right? Just five of us, and we were walking, hiking a trail at night. And uh, so take it take it from there and tell us what was, what was going on. Yeah, so it was the, I think it was the second night. I think it was the second night of the, of herping, correct? Um, and being in Madre Selva, uh, I would say one of the more exciting things about it was in Madre Selva, the expectations are set of that. They're a little bit more difficult, right? In that, generally speaking in that location. Yes. We haven't found that many Bushmasters at Madre Selva, right? Which is our, our, our distant field station. It's about, uh, maybe 60 miles down the Amazon river and then, and then up a smaller river. So. Right. As the pterodactyl flies. Right. And so there wasn't a lot of high expectations for them, uh, thinking that, you know, coming to Santa Cruz later uh, is when the Bushmasters would happen. So we're going up and down these trails, herping and finding what we can. And we get across, we we get down into this, this little divot and um, we realize like all of these worms were up coming up from the ground and we're all marveling at these worms come to find out they were writhing in pain because they uh there was some sort of uh warfare between the worms and the fire ants at the time <laughs> i think they were army ants uh, were they yeah i think they were army oh, yeah. ants. so whatever they were they were terrible um and they proceeded to attack us as well and we were running up the hill smacking our knees and and ankles and i i so happened to be ahead of the group and we're going up this up this incline and as i look up i see the white chin of what i knew was a viper it had to have been a viper and you know just from seeing other things in Costa Rica and, and looking for rattlesnakes, you know, that just the white chin poking up. This is in the middle of the trail, right? In the middle of the trail, um, coiled up. And so it was probably that, uh, 0.5 or, or one second decision. Um, am I looking at a Bushmaster or am I looking at a fair to Lance? And I follow the head. I'm like, okay, red eyes. Okay. Uh, you know, caramel color. Okay. Black bands. And then it's just an, effing bushmaster you know that 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 feeling of seeing that iconic animal that you read about since you're a child in the trail coiled up in in ambush it's really cool uh they coil up in that perfect little cone that they have and it's very 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 charismatic i one of those feelings i just want i won't i won't ever forget that feeling and burke you were kind of right behind him yes yeah so uh when uh, Jeffrey called that, I was looking down, still kind of scanning for those ants. And in fact, I was still chuckling a little bit because 
um, Mike would be uh, walking up the trail and even good 10 minutes afterwards, you just hear, ow, because, you know, they were in his pants and in his shirt. He got it hard. So um, I was still chuckling. And when Jeff said that, I like my brain took a second to process, but I looked up and sure enough, it was right there. And uh, my I when I have a reaction to certain species of snakes, I get this like shock wave that goes through my body and my legs go numb and like it's like pure adrenaline and uh that's definitely what was going on and we were all shaking and super stoked and giving each other high fives and trying to stay focused you know the crazy part about it is like you don't know what's going to happen like you see that snake in the trail but it's so dense on both sides so you're like this moment could be very brief or it's going to be a drawn out thing where we could take pictures and whatnot so uh, uh thankfully we were able to make that happen. And, uh, after seeing the Bushmaster, um, we all kind of gathered together and we're like, okay, so what's the plan? <laughs> what are we going to do? And, uh, we passed the torch to Mike for sure. We were like, uh, good luck. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get the bag out and, uh, here's the tongs. Um, so anyway, we got the, we got the bag out and, uh, one of our favorite wines actually is, uh, we were we were getting the bag out and we could not get it open worth the life of us. And Mike's sitting there with this huge or with this iconic Bushmaster that we're all a little bit intimidated by because, you know, we're 60 miles into the Amazon and this is a highly venomous snake and uh, had getting the bag open and, uh, you know, <laughs> we couldn't get it open. And Mike was like, open the bag, guys. Oh. Open the bag. <laughs> Open the goddamn bag. <laughs> so it, it was pretty funny. We were chuckling and we finally got it open and very safely. It was really smooth. We got the Bushmaster in there and uh, gave each other high fives. And we, we caught this Bushmaster because it was the first Correct. Bushmaster of the trip. Yep. So we, we, we were going to, we had no, we usually see a Bushmaster on a trip. And for Lucky, we see two Bushmasters on a trip. But this particular trip, we saw. The, it, Five, <laughs> five so yeah. far. So far, we still got three nights. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this this one did uh, did get captured so that everybody could have a look at it. But normally, you know, going further, we're not going to capture every bushmaster we find. You know, we're just going to take a look at it and call people to come see it and all that. But we we're not going to bother with that. And I guess the other the other part of that is when we saw the bushmaster. You get your camera out and you get your safety shots, right? Right, yeah. So that that was an important thing too, not to get too close, but get some shots and be ready if it's going to move. Hopefully you can still at least document that you saw one. Right. It's a snap, step, snap, step. It, yeah, it's uh, what I call lizard shooting. You know, yeah, you approach exactly. a lizard and you, you take three steps and then get a shot and then three steps and get a better shot and like that. So until you, until, until you cross the threshold of where they're done with the, they're done with the experience. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so it was fun and we got some photos, you guys, you know, in situ photos, which is important. And so uh, it was not a very big snake though for a Bushmaster. No, it was, uh, oh, probably three and a half feet. Um, but the crazy part was, is, that doesn't matter. You got a Bushmaster and we were coming back and, uh, you know, the chances of you coming back to the group and them saying, you know, they got a Bushmaster is very, very slim, especially where we were. And we get back and we're all like uppity and stoked and not even a word came out of my mouth yet. We got to the camp and we just hear Jill go, 
So you never think you would get us wrangling a Bushmaster into a bag. And I was like, oh, someone told her about the Bushmaster. And so I was, and she, and I was like, wait, hold on. And my brain was going. And then I was like, wait, did you get a Bushmaster? And she was like a massive Bushmaster. So I'm like, so clearly that's not ours. Um, so it, we all just like, I can't even like describe the energy in like all of us around. Cause we had all gotten back. We're like two Bushmasters. Uh, it was in the same, basically the same time frame. Oh yeah, certainly. And you want to see a bunch of uh, grown adults just hopping around in a circle, like making high pitch, <laughs> oh, like all the laughing and giggling and and high fives and and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's kind of crazy. It was, it was like, wait a minute, you got a bushmaster? Well, we got a bushmaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that's a first. That's never happened. So yeah, uh, that that was great. And you know those uh, those of the, out there, if herpers that know us, know that uh, Burke and I get pretty animated when we're okay. excited. But that one was um, that one was. I don't think I've ever hyperventilated like that. Sitting there looking at it in the trail, like. Like having to do the, you know, the um, adaptive breathing when you're, <laughs> yeah. calm down, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, yeah. you know, you got all that. Uh, the only thing I, I say, the only experience like that I can compare it to is my first Fertilance in Costa Rica, where you look over and you and all the flashbacks of, you know, uh, Jeff Corwin and Steve Irwin and, and all the people on Discovery Channel, you, uh, you know standing behind this iconic animal and talking about it and and seeing that it's meeting a celebrity really that's that's the feeling yeah that's a good way to to put it um yeah i like that i like that approach and we uh so we thought we needed to bring one back because we thought this could be the only snake uh, bushmaster of the trip and the other folks are like well we need to bring this back because this would be the only bushmaster of the trip and it turns out they were not uh, right. and, and I want to kind of circle back to a minute about, you know, the, the capture of the animal. Of course we were very, um, and I mentioned this before and, uh, on the previous segment with, uh, Jill and, uh, Michael, I also mentioned it, you know, we're pretty careful with the animals and we have safety protocols for how we, um, put the animal in a bag and, Absolutely. and the animal never spends more than 24 hours in a bag and usually about 20 hours in a bag. Uh, and that's it. So, and, uh, we're talking about getting the snake in the bag, open the bag. <laughs> it's because we hit, we're using uh, uh, a, cl- a clamp stick, one of the uh, wide wide ones that uh, can you can safely pick up the animal without too much pressure. Uh, and then you guys are holding the bag open with three snake hooks to form sort of a triangular opening. So uh, just to paint, further paint the picture of how that, how that snake goes into the, into the bag. So. Yeah. And I, I, and to add on to that, the, the protocols that, we're following with the snake handling and the photographing. I mean, it's, it's very, very, very regimented and very, very safety conscious. You know, we have, uh, you and Christoph and Matt sitting there armed with snake hooks and tongs, uh, are surrounding the animal as we filter through one by one and, and getting these photos. And oh, during the photo session. During the photo session, yeah. And and it's very, because, I mean, the consequences of being irresponsible with these animals is, are very, very, very dire. Um, so we have to be very, very careful being out here. So it's I'm very impressed with you guys and your, and your protocols and, and with safety. 
Another thing too um, that I've noticed that is um, makes me appreciate it a lot is not only our safety and comfortability, but uh, you uh, they're very good at um, keeping the animal comfortable as well. So it's not about getting your photo and the snake's freaking out and we're snapping photos and whatnot. They you know we get the animal out, place him down, and we're all very far back and we let the animal look at us, kind of get a feel for us and. Uh, Really, the Bushmasters, um, both of those Bushmasters sat beautifully, never really moved. They flicked their tongue a little bit, but uh, as soon as they were sitting there, I mean, they sat there great, um, super comfortable. So uh, I really appreciated the fact that um, our safety was number one. And uh, next to that, the biggest priority was making the snake comfortable as well. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's possible we could manipulate the snake to get better a better photo or a dramatic pose or what, what have you. Um, but then, you know, we're adding additional stress to it. When the Bushmaster comes out of a bag during the daytime, they're, you know, they're kind of confused. They want to run, but most of the time they kind of settle into a, a loose coil um, and, and face a direction so they can kind of watch uh, the, the people who have just let them out of the bag. So it's, it kind of works okay. You don't have to, you know, you, you guys, I think you still got a good, good shots. I think the, yeah, we did. the position was okay. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously we're not trying to get on the cover of magazines, you know, with this, it's not the, you just can't treat that animal that way. You have to make sure that, that it stays as, as under, as, you know, the least stressed as possible, let's say. So, right. And, and watching that snake, I would say that they are the most, one of the most cognitive reptiles I've ever encountered. Um, I would say, cause pretty, I would say comparative to things like Gila monsters, where you can see that the gears are turning in their head as they're, as they're watching you, the eyes are constantly moving, uh, their move, their movements are very, very calculated. They know their surroundings extremely well. Um, it, I don't know the ins and outs of how cognitive each species of reptile is, but there's definitely something to be said about how smart these animals are. They, they are extremely intelligent. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and masters of their domain. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, we get the snake, um, uh, bring it back, photograph the snake, snake goes back in a bag. So we have, uh, two uh instances where the snake goes in a bag and in two instances where the snake comes out of a bag and that, that's it and then the last one is when the snake gets released at its capture point so how was that really cool <laughs> watching it crawl through the forest yeah um i think honestly finding the snake is really really cool but knowing that the entire process happened safely the snake made it back to its location. You know, we have their GPS coordinates of exactly where it was found. Uh, we'll mark the trail. We come back. The snake goes right back where it was. And um, the really cool part is the buttress trees um, that they seem to inhabit quite frequently based off of the Bushmasters we've seen. They seem to hang around them. Um, second, we let that snake go, even though it was daylight. Um, it seemed like it was its it was its turf, so you put it down and it immediately kind of did a little scan and went through the forest and immediately started kind of beelining towards its buttress tree, which is a perfect place for them to get out um, during the daylight hours um, uh, before they come out at night, if they come out at night. So it um, just didn't take off in a random direction. It, it oriented itself and then chose a direction. 
Yeah. So there were a few times when we were, uh, when it got out on the trail, we put it there and it seemed very determined to get on one side of the trail. It seemed very determined to go one direction. And it was pretty cool. It was constantly getting its head going and its tongue going. And you could tell it was like, it had a purpose in mind. It wasn't just darting off. It was very slowly, very quietly moving through the forest till you couldn't see it anymore. And it was pretty cool. Nice, nice ending to the whole thing. For sure. So let me ask you this. Can you, if you close your eyes, can you still see that Bushmaster on that, on the trail? Oh yeah. Absolutely. (laughs) Kind of gets etched in your memory, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I remember the first one I saw was saying, well, I can close my eyes and I can still see that, that snake. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's one thing to read about them and see pictures of them, but you know, when you see one on a trail or whatever, just in, in the rainforest, it, it abs- the abstract becomes reality. It, there's definitely a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and this this is a young one. This is probably a, Matt and I kind of guess it's maybe a two-year-old, um, small. Um, they don't, you don't see uh, neonate Bushmasters that often. Uh, and they're very, um, they're very large when they come out of the egg too. They're, so they're not coming out as, as little wigglers. Uh, so in, in a couple of years they get over a meter in length. So that's, that's pretty cool too. So it, it's encouraging for us to see s- the smaller Bushmasters out and about too, because that, you know, that tells us the population seems is there's some recruitment in the pop- population and they're uh, reproducing and uh, maybe that's the good news for the future. Yeah, absolutely. Especially to see them in Madre Selva, where they're historically difficult, and where we were able to find that many. Yeah, and, and that's that's worth mentioning too, because uh, you know we we go we visit two field stations, and like I said, Madre Selva is pretty far down the Amazon, and then uh, we come up here to the Santa Cruz field station, which is very close to Iquitos, but nevertheless still a primary forest. Uh, in Madre Selva. Um, the past year, there have been four bushmasters found, including uh, what, what what we found, and one last or one last year, and one last uh, one last year with Matt's group, and then one last year a researcher found one. Um, so, uh, but before that, there were many, many, many years where we did not see bushmasters, uh, despite you know hundreds and hundreds of hours on the on the trails there at night with you know. Experienced terpers with good eyes, we did not see them. So, one of the questions we're speculating about is why? Why are the bushmasters popping up? Have they are they you know moving into that area? You know, they have they come from somewhere else and they're they're setting up in that area now, and we're we're encountering them. We're not sure exactly what's going on, but I I don't think we we didn't see them for lack of trying. Yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. The effort and the the man hours that are uh, you know put into that place during a tour um it's it's significant and to be able to find them that readily all of the sudden when they they weren't before you know that's that's something worth noting um something too to consider is uh you know how uh, at least for me if i was listening to this my question would be um, oh, you know, what was the month? What, you know, is it the same, is it similar to what you're doing now? Did you do something different? All of a sudden you're seeing better results. Um, the thing that fascinates me is, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but, uh, your tours, you seem to at least get one every time or every other time or whatever. And it's, you, you have these two stations and you don't see them at the first station. 
And as soon as you come out here to Santa Cruz, you seem to see more. So it's like, it's not just coincidence um, timing wise that you don't see them a lot um, at our first base. Um, so it was pretty cool to, <laughs> to get four out there. Yeah. Four, four at Madre Selva was amazing. And so, and then managed to get so far one here at, at what we call the Bushmaster hotspot. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, well, one of my favorite things was um, when we found out that, that it was the very next night, right? That the, the other two were found from where ours were. Yep. And we had just spent a night on a boat uh, looking for boas in the trees and uh, the, the pole cord on our, uh, the outrigger of our, of our boat broke. And we found ourselves rowing up to a village, getting tools and, and you know, we're, <laughs> we're all exhausted uh, from, from that. Brian's rowing with a, with a broom. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh, yeah. Brian and I had, had push brooms. Yeah. Push brooms and, and uh, uh, fish nets fish and, and, and paddle. And <laughs> I just remember seeing, uh, is his name Julio? That was. Yeah, Julio was our Julio. Our, our uh, he saw us our rowing, and you can see the hope leave his 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 eyes. <laughs> so, okay, we gotta go to a village and uh, get some tools and fix the outrigger. Yeah, and so we had just finished that, and we rode up there, and we got the engine fixed, and and we finally got into that was camp. that was fun by the way. I was having a blast. Yeah, that was that was fun. One of those things you don't forget. Like you know, I remember. Back when I was in the Amazon and the and the outrigger broke and we yeah. had to row to a village <laughs> in the middle of the night in the yeah. dark to fix against the, the current. Yeah, against. Yeah, <laughs> and so, uh, two mi- at two miles it would have taken us hours. Yeah, to get um, that two miles back. Yeah, um, and so we had just finished with that night and we come back up and and Corey's already on the bank ready for us. Like he was like a puppy, you know, waiting for our return. Guess He's what? Like, guess what? Guess what? you guys are going to get emotional about this one. <laughs> so he said, we come up and get up into the station. We got two more Bushmasters. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. And the other one was the biggest one that you guys had ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. That was a, a monster snake. Uh, yeah. Eight, eight, well, I think Matt's seen longer ones, but th- it was every bit of 20 pounds and eight feet long. Um, that was l- and a, a charcoal color, a charcoal gray color, yeah, different colors, yeah, looked like a pine snake almost in colors, yeah, like a northern pine, so yeah, yeah. And crazy. one of them was the what was another exciting thing is the other one was a recap from the year before, right? Yeah, they were it took some pictures of the head markings and they were able to, um, I think confirm that it, it's our first recapture. Uh, after, you know, 10 years of Bushmasters, I don't, I don't recall how many Bushmasters we've, it's in the twenties, how many Bushmasters we've seen. This is the first recapture of an animal. So that's exciting too. Yeah. Uh, I expect, uh, maybe we'll see some more of that as we go along. So, and then we come up here to Madre Selva and the, I think it was the first night here at Madre or at Santa Cruz rather first night here at Santa Cruz. And uh, I got one on the trail uh, about, I'm looking out across the pond here, probably about 800 feet from where we're sitting right now, uh, just across the other side of the pond from us. So, Yep, we're right in the thick of it, right in the thick of it, right where yeah. we're sleeping. And that one was coming out on the trail, and uh, uh, it saw, I saw it, and it saw me, and it uh, came most of the way out of the trail, and it 
loop did that weird loopy thing, but and headed back the other direction into the real thick brush. So, but, uh, that's another story for another time, I guess. But, uh, so, um, pretty cool. Uh, have to say we're, that's, you know, the most Bushmasters ever seen on a trip that we've ever seen on a trip. So I, I think, uh, Matt was on a trip last year that I was not on. And it always seems to work out that way. I'm always not on those trips, but, uh, and he got four. So I thought that oh, we'll never top that. So <laughs> here we are. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, uh, <clears throat> I guess swallowed a mosquito. Um, we do that a lot here. <laughs> we sure do. It's part of our diet now. <laughs> I mean, Brian even inhaled a wasp the other night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You gotta maybe breathe through the nose a little bit. Uh, of the Bushmaster too. So we had the, uh, you know, we had a lot of adrenaline that night. You know, obviously the Bushmaster is enough adrenaline in itself. But first we had the, uh, we first thought the worms were Sicilian. So that was uh, adrenaline. And then a few seconds later, we found out we were being attacked by ants. Uh, Top that with some adrenaline. Um, and then uh, we walked down the trail and there was a Bushmaster. There's some adrenaline. And uh, then, you know, <laughs> it just kept happening, walking down the trail and we're all excited. And all of a sudden you hear Brian go, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, oh. he's like hanging over and coughing. And all of a sudden he's like, my throat's itchy. It's swelling. It feels weird. And he, I inhaled the wasp and then it we had adrenaline. Him. He inhaled it and it stung him, right? Yeah. And then it stung him. And then we got back to the trail. And found out someone, or back to the camp, found out someone else got a Bushmaster and there was some adrenaline. And then the last but not least bit of adrenaline was, wait, where's Brian? You know, after he got stung by that wasp, we're like, wait, he hasn't showed up yet. Yeah, so there was some adrenaline. ahead of us. Yeah. So then there was a panic on top of that. I don't think I've had back-to-back adrenaline like that in it ever. <laughs> so, so we all went into the forest to go looking for him. And right when we were going to go looking, he emerged and he was like, Hey guys. And we're like, Oh, he's alive. That's good. <laughs> he took a different, a different side trail. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Uh, I agree that the adrenaline, it was like a roller coaster, <laughs> you know, right. Uh, right. When you get calmed down, it goes right back up. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, welcome to Peru. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Peru, um, uh, you guys um, are obviously having a good time, but uh, uh, were there other highlights that uh, just, just? oh, I should, before we get to this too, you've got some great footage. Uh, you have your special camera rig with its um, gimbal gimbal feature, yeah. and uh, you have got some terrific video footage of this, uh, the Bushmaster, and uh, can't wait for it to, to show up on... Uh, on your social, your, yeah. your, your feed there. Yeah. So there'll, there'll definitely be uh, videos on catch it for sure. Um, I'm very excited because this is the type of footage I've never taken before. I've got this uh, gimbal for those who know what that is. It's just like this robotic arm basically that's attached to your camera for, you know, ultra stabilization. So I was able to get some shots of this Bushmaster, a view that you it just happened so fast uh, and it's kind of like the slowed down footage of that tongue going out and the throat inflating and just the, you know, the, uh, just the crazy look of the snake, the osteoderms all up and down the body. It's the stuff that you can't get that close to the snake <laughs> in person without putting yourself at great risk. So with these long lenses and the good gimbal and all that stuff, it was, it's footage I'm very excited about. So yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. 
So going back to uh, what else is going on down here, and what what's some other favorite finds for you guys down here? A big one for me was definitely so. Well, we got a bilineatus, a two-lined viper last night. Emerson well, did. Bothrops. Bothrops bilineatus, which is fantastic. Um, I'll let Burke talk about that one. But I think my other my other favorite find was our caiman on the first night. That was fun. Uh, that was one of the things that was big for me. I remember seeing people on uh, prior trips here getting pictures with caiman. They got to catch them. These smooth-fronted caimans are in the creeks that you cross. And it was the first night, and that's one thing I was really, really pumped about is I'm going over this this bridge, and I look over, and there's so many frogs, and there's so many different things that give eye shine. And so I go, wow, there must be a really big frog sitting there in the uh, in in the creek there. And Andrew Dubois, he go, he's like, no, man, that's a caiman. And, oh, no. <laughs> and so so this caiman, uh, a smooth-fronted caiman, it was about, I don't know, two feet, something like that. Not yeah. very big. And so we sneak up on it, and we get and we get up and around it, keep the lights on it to kind of distract it with the light as I'm sneaking up on it. And so this is in a, um, in a Creek, but the Creek uh-huh. are typically below the level of where, where the trails are. Yes. Cause they, they've worn away soil. And so they're three, yeah. four, five, six, seven feet, uh, lower. Yep. And trying to slip in the mud down into the Creek and it goes down and it swims down and it buries its head in the, in the soot at the bottom of the Creek thinking it was hiding. And so we got in there and, uh, I felt like some sort of between, uh, you know, Brian's on one side of the Creek, Andrew, I think Andrew's over there. I can't remember where he's nearby. And I felt like there was some sort of like dare in high school where, where I'm about to do the dumb thing. And the friends are in the background, like, dude, you could do it, man. You could just do it. You could go, go, go for it. You know, just pick it up, dude. Just, yeah. So, so <laughs> I, I finally got in there and my boots are filling with water and, and, uh, I got to grab it and it was a cool feeling. That was my first, um, first live crocodilian for me was cool. a smooth fronted caiman and got to catch it. So it was Paleosuchus trigonatus. Yes. That, that was really cool for it's me. It's one of the, it's one of the cooler crocodilians too. It doesn't get very big. It lives in these small creeks. Yeah. And, but it, it looks so, uh, you, you know, right out of the Jurassic. Yeah. You know, it's got the, the bony plates and it's kind of, uh, I don't want to call it spiny, but it's got definitely got, uh, uh, armor on it to keep it from being, you know, from other creatures from getting, uh, getting a hold of it. So it, it's definitely a cool looking. Really cool. And their natural history is pretty cool too. It seems like the way they live is more akin to like a, a monitor lizard or a, like a tegu rather than a crocodilian, you know, they're terrestrial, you know, they're moving from Creek to Creek. And so they, just that alone make the smooth fronted in particular, that's a cool natural history for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, uh, I think the same night Matt and I found one. Yeah. Found one. Yep. About the same size in a different creek. So Yeah, it was one of the it was yeah, we ran into you actually. We're going through what did you get? What did you get? We got a Cayman. Oh, we got a Cayman. <laughs> Only Caymans of the trip so far, too, yeah. on the first night. Yeah. So very cool. So what what about the Viper, Burke? Uh that uh the Bothrops by Laniatus was definitely a huge uh huge target for us. Um 
surely after getting five Bushmasters, my hopes weren't high just because, you know, the universe doesn't work like that. Just kidding. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it see, doesn't. It, you're like, surely this has happened. There's no way we're going to get this uh, Viper. Um, but we, uh, we've been here for about three nights now. We've done three total nights and we've done two nights of hard searching. Literally every person here was really, um, motivated by this Viper. Few people, you know, get stomach problems and have to sit it out and whatnot. So, you know, we'll spread out, try to find not only a very camouflaged Viper, but, uh, a rather uncommon Viper. So, you know, we're putting in the work for it. And uh, Jeff and I last night decided, you know what, we're going to go all in on this and uh, we are going to hike far. We're going to cover ground um, just like everybody else does. Um, I think we did. I think we average in a night. We've been averaging maybe two miles. Um, I think we did be somewhere between four and five last night. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot of hiking in a hot in the jungle, Rainforest. that's a long time, yeah. Yeah. Slipping the whole time, you know. And not only that, but you're walking slow, um, very strategically looking in the trees and the ground. You don't want to step on any vipers. You don't want to miss any vipers. You know, you don't want to miss out on any of that. So these are very, very slow miles. So we were out there for hours. And uh, we did get some cool snakes. Um, we got uh, some, uh, what was that uh, racer, the... Oh, yeah, the Tawny Forest Racer. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dan, uh, let's see. And got some blunt-headed tree snake and oh, uh, dry maluber dicris yeah. is what you found. Yeah, yeah. So we got some, we got some stuff and some frogs and the knolls, and we saw the knolls in the trees, and we were super motivated because we're like, that's what these uh, bothrops are eating, and uh, you know, long night of searching, but sure enough, we didn't get one. Um, but we walked back to camp and tired, ready to take a shower. Walked in, everybody was you know hanging out um, in the kitchen area, and I just walk in and. Jeffrey's like, I'm going to go rinse my shoes real quick. And I'm like, sure, I'll meet you in there. I walk in and uh, Jill's just kind of got the smirk on her face. And uh, I'm giving this report because I'm like, man, we had a great night and blah, blah, blah. We walked all these. And she was kind of giving me this look like, you don't understand oh, yeah? yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden my eyes just kind of looked over and uh, there was a <laughs> Bothrop spilaniatus right there. Just a little guy and that they had to bring back to camp that was fairly close to camp. And uh, I, there was that rush again. I'm like, holy crap. And my filter completely left. And I just screamed because <laughs> Jeffrey was walking to the water. I'm like, Jeff. And he's like, what? <laughs> like way out there. And I just told him that they got one of these Vipers. And his once steady light out there in the distance was now going boof, 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 bouncing because he was running. And he came through and he's like, where, where, where? And right there we saw it and. Well, it, it's a neonate, so we we Tiny. had it in a, a small plastic container, very small, yeah. uh, instead of a snake bag. So, yep, and uh, so it wasn't out out in, in the open. And who found it? What was his? Oh, Emerson. Emerson. Yeah, yeah. Emerson sort of sort of the he, uh, manages this this field station down here. And he, you can tell he he's been out here a while and knows what he's doing because uh, he brings back some pretty crazy stuff. A lot of yeah. times he's he's got the eye for it, and not only that, but he climbed a climbed a big tree to find this little guy, let alone, I don't know how he spotted this, you know. I think it was about 15 feet up. Yeah, 15, 15 feet. And it was on a vine that was circling a big, the trunk of a big tree. And he was just hugging it, yeah. Yeah, he was hugging it, so. And he climbed up and safely got this little dude down and brought it back to us so we can all have a good time and enjoy it, so. 
Yeah, and then the snake will go back out tonight. Yeah, yeah. That was so. Yeah, that's a huge, huge highlight. And uh, at this point, we have three nights left, and I'm kind of like in awe that we have three nights left because for the things that we should have found, we should be on our second trip already. You know, like this should be the year after, (laughs) or a few years from now. But we're seeing it all, and we're very fortunate. Got some good people out here with some pretty experienced eyes, so it's pretty crazy. Yeah, you guys have done well, and uh, I'm I'm happy that you guys have had some experiences on you know with this with this kind of crew. I don't really don't have to work too hard, and I really don't want to find things. I want you guys to find all the things that 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 makes me happy. Yeah, yeah, having that experience to lay eyes on something in the trees. Yeah, and in terms of uh, you know we have a few nights left. We have we still have things to find. We haven't found an, an aquatic coral. That's uh, something that we commonly see here. Uh, Microris surinamensis, which is a, a big feisty uh, coral snake that likes to live in the creeks down there with the the caiman. Uh, but we haven't seen one yet. It's kind of weird, but uh, we'll we'll keep going out for that. Now our targets our, our targets will will shift away from uh, little uh, uh, arboreal vipers to. Uh, coral snakes. Yeah. yeah, keeping our eyes in the creeks and covering ground. And uh, oddly enough, we haven't seen a fertile lands either. That one's kind of weird too. So, lots of Bushmasters. So, <laughs> I don't know what the heck's happening there. <laughs> it's not how I've been told this is going to go. I've been lied to. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, people are always like, well, are we going to get a Bushmaster? Do we always get, do you always get Bushmasters? And I just always say, well, you know, I don't, I don't ever want to say anything is guaranteed because the minute I feel like the minute I say anything like that, the, you know, the, the hands of fate go, <laughs> no Bushmaster exactly. for you. It's, so it's been very flipped because we were actually, um, sitting on the porch talking and, um, Mike has been very good about not doing those things. And I was like, man, I want to see one of those big monkey frogs. He's like, yeah, those are a guarantee. And he goes, crap. Well, <laughs> I just messed that up for you. Sorry. Um, but that very night we got, we got a huge monkey frog. So, um, and we've seen a few since, so, um, things are, I don't know what happened. Things are a little bit shifted sideways, but I'm not complaining. (laughs) No, it's been great. No. Uh, as far as, uh, you know, coming to Peru and, and the whole rainforest experiences, um, you guys seem to be doing pretty well with it. Yeah, it's been great. I sure appreciate you and you and Matt and Christoph and the crew and, Doing what you do, I don't think it, this is a top tier, top tier experience. Yeah, I mean, you, I don't know how for you know how much deeper you can get into the herping experience in the Amazon. I really don't. Well, the the coolest part about this trip, um, the environment that uh, Matt and Mike um, and Christoph make is crazy because you come out here and you think you have all these worries, right? You're going to have to deal with all these things when you get out here. You're in the middle of the Amazon, but literally everything's so laid out perfectly. You know, everything, um, you never have to go find food. No, exactly. So it literally the beginning of the trip, you get all the things done and you come out here and the only thing you have to worry about is finding the snakes and being safe. And that's taking pictures. It's literally like, it feels weird that your biggest thing is, have fun and there's nothing else. It's yeah. literally like, there's not like have fun, take a break, get some crap done so that you can have more fun later. It's fun, fun, fun until you collapse, wake up fun, fantastic food, more fun, great people. It's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, I, I 
can't even. Yeah, you're dialed in. It, it it is it is a different from you know oh you you guys you know you herp around like you just do some herping around the country, and uh, it's like oh we're gonna drive here and we're gonna see this oh well we got to find some food and oh we got to get gas and oh where are we gonna stay are we gonna camp or we got to find a place to sleep on the ground or a motel or something so you get pulled away by the these things that you need to do in order to keep keep the the trip going but here it's different cuz you know dinner you know we have meals at 8 1 and 6 and just make sure you're there and we take care of that for you so yeah it's great great food and everything yeah so and you get to stay in one place and you've you're you got your own little tambo here um all all set up so you don't have to worry about where you're going to sleep either it's just when you're going to sleep yeah i would say the only hardship here is is we have everything here but you got to also realize it is the Amazon, and we look diseased <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> from all bites. the mosquitoes. Yeah. I think that's the only thing you got to worry about is make sure you come and and you're prepared for that. I, I can I, I can only imagine if people aren't mentally prepared for the heat and the mosquitoes. It's it's a big that is that is tough, you know. Yeah, but it's is... worth it if you if you if if you have the expectation set and you, and you're willing to work hard for the targets that you have and it's so worth it. I mean, I, it's, it's okay. I mean, I got my vaccinations and I got my, <laughs> I do it again. I do certainly it again. do. It it's again. So worth it. It's part yeah. of the immersive experience too. Um, I think I would, I can find myself appreciating it less if I went into the AC every night. Yeah. Which is weird to say, but it's true. You know, when you go into AC, you don't want to come out of the AC. So Yeah. Yeah. So there's a danger there. <laughs> yeah. So, and we, and the end of the trip, we have what, what Matt refers to as the AC line. You know, the trip's officially over when you, you go to the, the airport and you all of a sudden you're in the air conditioning. It's like, okay, trip's over. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even, uh, it's like a, for, it's all, I don't know. It's only been two weeks, but I, it's almost like I forgot what it felt like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a shock when you go in there and it's like, oh my gosh. The showers are good though. They're cold, nice and cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's still it's it's weird because you're cold, but it's still so humid that it's like not the same as AC. It's like you I don't know how to describe it, but the cold water is definitely it's like the perfect swimming pool temperature. Yeah. Cold. Yeah. I don't think you'd want a warm shower out here. I wouldn't. I took one this morning after getting back from the bird boat. We we did it we do a morning boat down the river looking uh, bird watching for some of the folks and i came back up from that and i didn't want to get out of the shower i just i told our our friend sean i'm like i'm just going to stay in the shower today I so heard that. <laughs> yeah i'm just going to turn it on every 30 minutes or so and get wet again and just going to hang out here you know give me a chair put it in the shower i'll be fine so it feels pretty good so <laughs> yeah but you know, you, you guys just look forward to going home and uh, looking at your pictures and putting your your, um, your video pres- presentation together. And Very excited uh, about that. Yeah, so you, the excitement continues beyond being here, and hopefully, all of our flights will be on time. So, hopefully, we don't know if there's anything going on at home. <laughs> We're all removed, you know. Yeah, the world could be burning, and we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope that's not the yeah. case. But let's hope we still have an, an, an at least an internet or something. Yeah. To get back. So, all right. Well, uh, thanks for talking to me, guys. Um, it's all it's always fun talking to you, and it's always fun hanging out with you. I, l- I like your energy and your enthusiasm. You come down here, and you I know you're going to have a good time, and you're going to work hard and and get results. So I 
that makes me happy. So I appreciate it as always. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. been great. Seriously. Yeah. And so I'll uh, add this segment on to the one uh, I did with the uh, uh, Jill and Hippie. So, yeah. You guys almost did as good as they did, but uh, <laughs> almost. I, I can't top Hippie's Dracula. <laughs> can't. No one can. Yeah. So once again, uh, Burke, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> Burke, got a stupid thing. In, I got a bug in my ear. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Start over again, Mike. Okay. Burke, Jeff, thanks for coming on the show again. Appreciate talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Today I'm talking to Richard Laguerre, who is known to all of his friends as Squeaks. Welcome to the show, Rich. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I really appreciate the opportunity to make my debut on your So Much Pingle podcast. <laughs> Happy to be sitting here talking to you, to you today in this wonderful setting to talk about my um, I've been on two trips here. Uh, my two trips here and the Bushmasters I've seen on this trip. I was a late bloomer as far as international herp tra travel goes. I've been herping for 50 years now. This is my 50th year of herping, but I didn't do international travel, my first international herp problem travel until I was in my mid-50s. So I'm kind of a late bloomer on the mid, late bloomer on international herp travel. But back in 2020, Brian Hughes, he's been on this show a couple of times with this podcast. He asked me about going to a Peru trip about 18 months before the departure date. It would have been January of 2020. And I was wondering if I wanted to do something so bold it just seemed overwhelming to get prepared for something that big and I wasn't ready yet and he asked over and over and finally he just went ahead and signed me up they were down to one slot left he signed me up and said you're going to Peru and that's how I ended up on the first trip and that trip we got a single approximately five foot long bush master here at Santa Cruz uh, our guide Edvin had brought it in I think it was the second or third to the last day of the trip yeah, that's, he walked, that's right. He walked in in the evening with this approximately five-foot Bushmaster to a standing evasion up there at the main building. Yeah, and he had found that one, it was one of our rare daytime Bushmasters. Yeah, it was a pretty incredible find. It's quietly coiled right where the, there was a trail that goes to the south. It might have been the Shoshupe Trail, where, where it intersects the, the what we call the Black Trail, the main road that goes between Mizan and Akitas, and found that in the day, which was pretty incredible. And then he walked in with the snake penned. He had actually pinned the snake and walked in holding the head. We was holding the head, yeah. Pretty impressive. So that was the which one. Which we don't recommend. But <laughs> No, that's something I wouldn't do. Yeah. And and so that's really the only time I've actually seen anybody do that. And let's not do that again. Yeah, not recommended. <laughs> yeah. So we got a, quite a few snakes on that trip. We're really talking about Bushmasters now, but we got a, about 55 snakes on that trip. I added them up afterwards. And there was a lot of coral snakes that year. I think it was six of those um, Surinamensis, the aquatic corals. Yeah. And four fertility lances. Their snakes have been surprisingly uncommon this year in these drier, sunnier conditions, but we've more than made up for it. We're about to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that trip was great. We had a lot more rain, and so the aquatic corals were out doing their thing, which is uh, patrolling the banks of the, the creeks that pass through the property, uh, look, you know, looking for fish to eat. So Yeah, so the big game of that, the, the, actually the big game of coming down here is the Bushmaster. 
And we got one on that trip. There was quite a photo shoot. We all got our selfies and everything and then sent it on its way the next day. And quite a joy. But here I am again in 2023, just about the same days. This trip is a little bit later and got off to a much quicker start on the Bushmasters this time. The tip, we'd usually go to Madre Selva first for four nights and then move to Santa Cruz for six nights. They did that again this year. And Madre Selva has had a reputation for not being as so-called bush mastery as Santa Cruz. And it wasn't the case this trip. Right away, we got into the bush masters and they were big. That yeah. first, I think it was that first evening, we got that, I'm trying to remember the lengths now, the, the lengths are all mixed up, but all together, we ended up getting four bush masters over there from six and a half to eight feet long. They just seemed to keep getting bigger and bigger. It was absolutely amazing. I'm seeing all these Bushmasters. So it's, as you grow up, when you're a kid, you start, you just ascend the ladder of herpetology. I started, we didn't, haven't done my origin story on this podcast yet. It started out, I was a nine-year-old boy with a garter snake. We'll yeah, probably, let's talk about it. Yeah, we'll probably, okay, if you want to talk about that right now. Well, you can, you can have, um, give us a little background. Sure. Yeah, we had just moved to, um, my mom had just recently been through a divorce and we moved to a new area, a little bit further from Baltimore than where I, I, I lived for the first nine years. And there's a lot of habitat around. You can make a left turn out the front door and 20 steps, you're in a creek. And so yes. right away I was into the frogs. So there's leopard frogs, pickerel frogs, things like that. I got into the frogs. And my five-year-old brother, that first summer we were there, he comes up with about a two and a half foot long Eastern garter snake and offers to sell it to me for $1.50 a foot. <laughs> <laughs> He's always been an entrepreneur and he still is. And it took a while to save my allowance and I bought that snake off of him. Didn't know what it ate. Didn't know how to take care of it. I was trying to feed it baloney. I was terrified of it. And somehow got through that, eventually found a second garter snake. And it was it was a knock-kneed event. You know, you're tingly, your knees are knocking, you're afraid of it. And you somehow get it into a cage, and I tried to feed it baloney. I, I didn't do well with that first snake. Finally figured out it eats frogs and earthworms and had that snake a long time. But then as you ascend the, the, the herpetological ladder, you move on into big water snakes, which at first were scary. And then you find a big eastern king snake, which at first is scary. And then I got into copperheads and rattlesnakes. And you eventually get to the point where you can be surrounded by 50 rattlesnakes. And it's fun. It's exciting. It's exhilarating. But there's still something missing. It's not the same as that first garter snake where your knees are knocking and everything. You come down here and get into these bushmasters, and you get that old childhood feeling back. I'm the knee knocking. Yeah, I'm standing there nine years old again <laughs> with that first garter snake in front of me, except now it's seven feet of Bushmaster. It's it's a pretty amazing <laughs> feeling that you can't recreate it. You have to you just got, come down You got here. the old feeling back. Oh, yeah. it was nice. When I was, I was referring to that one, the first night we were here at Santa Cruz, when me and you, we each did that without pre-planning. We, we ended up hiking oh, in opposite yeah. directions on, that, on the road over here behind the pond. And yeah, Mike, let, Let's set that up a little <laughs> bit. Okay. So um, <laughs> uh, there's a circular trail, and I'm going one way, and you're going on the other. We don't know we don't know that the other is doing the trail, and uh, I, I come over around a curve on the trail, and I have a bushmaster that's halfway in, into the trail. He's just emerging. I think he's going to post up next to the trail. So he's I see him. He sees me. I take a couple pictures. I manage to get a couple of camera pictures too, and then he kind of. Goes dives back the other way into the forest, and I managed to get video of him going back into the forest. So I thought this is really cool, but I, um, you know, we'll just leave the snake alone, let it be. 
uh, and I marked the trail with, uh, I got like 10 leaves all the same size and I marked the trail across with 10 leaves in a row, which is very unnatural and easy to spot. And then, so I went, you know, continuing my walk on the loop trail and, uh, here you come the other way. And so I, I <laughs> yep. kind of tell you what's going on and, uh, you, t you take it from there. Yeah. So I could just continue as Mike disappeared behind me with his light searching the habitat. I just continued on. He had said it was about 200 yards and I just, um, herped my way through the forest the way I would have anyway, figuring that Bushmaster at some point is going to come right back out and coil up an ambush on the side of the trail if it comes back out. And I went, I went for what seemed much longer than 200 yards and just figured I'm not going to see that snake. And just, just working my way back around toward the main camp here, again, with no expectations. And then I'm looking ahead of me with my flashlight. It must have been 100 feet ahead. There's this, looks like a fallen tree <laughs> <laughs> laying across, all the way across the trail, and it's moving. And that's the Bushmaster, and that's when that, like, real tingly, knock-knee feeling came back. Because I'd already seen four Bushmasters this trip, but it's different when you're by yourself with a bag and a hook, and you got two meters plus a snake laying in front of you on the trail. And I, then you, the leaves you just mentioned, that, that line of 10 leaves, I hadn't even seen those leaves. And then I got a little bit closer to the snake and said, oh, this is most likely the one Mike just saw. So it was, it was what we call sloppy seconds, <laughs> secondhand Bushmaster. Yeah. Still all the same excitement, though, because I didn't realize that when I first found it. And yeah. it, was, it was, again, back to that nine-year-old kid with the first garter snake feeling. And you got some video of it. Yeah, I, got, I took a video of it. But then it, it once again turned around and was moving back to the same direction to the left from my perspective back right. into the forest and I just immediately got my flashlight I turned off my flashlight and left because I wanted other people to see it right. and we were hoping it would come back out again yeah this, we weren't going to capture the snake no not no. Uh, even but even with two of us that would have been no. tough and we, we really didn't have any need to capture it in any way no we just expected it to cool up and the right. entire group would get to see it right and we've done that with some other snakes too where we, we never, never touch the snake we just uh, mark its location and let people come up and have a look so, and that, that's very, you can't do that with every snake, but Bushmasters sometimes you can do that with. So, but I think, um, I, I want to ask you about this part of it too. It's like, um, when you're by yourself and you find a Bushmaster, it's, it's kind of different. It's a it's, totally different experience than being number two in a group and someone in front of you sees one or another group has already found a Bushmaster and it's been brought into camp in a bag to be photographed. It's totally different when you're out there by yeah. yourself in the Peruvian Amazon there's no one near you except for, of course, you walking away from me behind me. Of course, by this time, you were probably two or three tenths of a mile away. And um, then you come up on a Bushmaster. There's just there's just nothing else like it. There's not a lot of tours you can get that experience. Yeah. So it's kind of re-rocked my herp world. Now I'm all, in, all <laughs> enthused to get back to Arizona and get back out into those herps. But those rattlesnakes in Arizona, they're going to seem half size now. Yeah. <laughs> definitely a different snake. They're going to seem a lot smaller. Because I've seen a lot of rattlesnakes of many species, but the biggest rattlesnake I've seen lifetime is probably five foot two. And I've, I've probably seen a five foot two inch rattlesnake in three different species. Can't get that third inch. I mean, okay. I'm five foot three. Just can't, <laughs> can't make it that extra inch. Well, let's talk about that for this Bushmaster for a minute. With, from your video, we, were, we would stop it and we were able to identify the plants, the leaves next where the tail it was and where the, also where the head was. And because my uh, my rubber boots are ex like 12 and an eighth inches long, we were able to pretty much scope out how big that snake was. Yeah, it was, pretty, it was probably more accurate than a squeeze box, which can be off by about 15%. Yeah. 
So we figured that was a fully a two-meter snake plus a few extra inches because it wasn't laying perfectly straight. It had a little bit right. of undulation in its, in its body. So just a little over six feet, maybe maybe two meters, maybe a little more. It's hard to tell, but general idea, right? Yeah, that yeah. was pretty good. I'm just, it's just a shame we didn't. That was four nights ago that happened. Now Actually, now it's going on five nights ago, counting yeah. the night. Haven't seen another Bushmaster since. Conditions are changing here now, just drying out. Hot and, and dry. Having trouble getting rain. Yeah. Yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. And I, I like to think that if if I hadn't come the other way, you would have seen it anyway. I like to think that that, you know, I, I did delay the snake because it went back into the brush and it came back out for you. That was very fortuitous for you because you got to see the thing stretched out all the way across oh, the Oh, yeah, trail. it was pretty cool. But it's it also possible since we never saw that snake again, it was just moving through the forest. And if yeah. you hadn't interrupted the snake for five minutes or so, I might not have seen it at all. That's possible, That's too. That's another scenario. So, we'll never know. We'll never know. Some but of the fun of herping. I'm, I'm happy to share that snake with you. That was yeah, great. Yeah, it was <laughs> pleased to share a snake with you, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely yeah. enjoyable. That's the first time for that. And, this and, <laughs> and it's, it was my first solo hike, finding one on a solo hike. I, f I have found them and spotted them with other people along with me. But that was the first time I was walking by myself and found one. So it was, it was a big deal for me, too. Yeah, we had just gotten here. We weren't even fully finished moving into our timbers and everything. By the time we got here, we had dinner. It was dark. And right away, everybody's all excited out in new habitat, new trails, just hiking around. And yeah. right away, got to see that Bushmaster. Yeah, I saw that, and I just said, well, I'll be damned. We got another one. <laughs> <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. And then so when you go back to Arizona, the rattlesnakes are going to seem uh, smaller. Yeah, they're going to. Yeah, we have plenty of. I mean, Arizona is the most rattlesnake diverse state in the entire country, and there's the biggest ones are really the South Texas Western Diamondbacks, and then the Eastern Diamondbacks. Yeah. So they're not as big in Arizona, but there's a lot of diversity, and there are plenty of snakes that you see that are four, four and a half feet, and yeah. they're going to seem a lot smaller when we get back to Arizona. <laughs> Well, it'll be a little drier too. That's going to be quite a change for you. Yeah, that's one of the issues coming down here. It's the temperatures don't they don't get that high. A typical high temperature here is even during the the um the rainy season. It runs around the coldest days I saw in the in the forecast before we came here were in the upper seventies when it was really rainy, all the way up to maybe ninety one or ninety two on a bright hot sunny day. But right now it's probably eighty five and it's sweltering hot because of the humidity. The humidity really makes it uh, seem hotter. Yeah, it's amazing the difference it makes. Yeah, the humidity. Yeah, as far as aside from the Bushmaster, um, which um, obviously is sort of the big game here, was there anything else that really tripped your trigger? Or maybe last trip, or or this trip, or both trips? Dual bilineatus. Ah, both Rob's <laughs> bilineatus. Yeah, it's, yeah, I had never seen those on any trip before. Of course, I've only had two opportunities in a lifetime, to, and that's the two trips down here to see those. Yeah. But there are another. They don't have the the um, pal. I mean, the, the I should say the punch of a bushmaster. So, just for our audience, size, can but, you uh, descri describe what we're talking about when we talk about Bothrop's bilineatus? It is a mostly green or entirely green with a bluish tinge viper up to maybe 24, 26 inches long or something like that. Very arboreal lizard predators or sitting white predators for lizards. Almost always over your head in the treetops. Sometimes around chest level. And really hard to find. They, they have are. entire trips down here where, where there's not a single one found. We have a, a guide here who just happens to be very good at finding. We found both of them. Uh, shout out to Emerson. Yeah, Emerson. Thumbs up to Emerson twice on this bilineatus. And now that I've seen one in, in habitat in situ, we're calling it in situ. We actually released the snake and it went back to its perch and it's sitting there again. I guess that's technically in situ again because the snake's where it wants to be. 
might be a little bit easier to go out tonight and try to look for one. Don't you find it interesting that the snake went, we released the snake where it was found, where Emerson found it. It went back up to the vine to the same branch where it was at, and and it's still there. It's still in ambush position back where it was when he spotted it. And that's after being photographed off and on for a good part of a day. Yeah, it's amazing. They can they can tolerate an occasional perceived predatory event like that without interfering with their life history too much. It's just repeated disturbance. Yeah, and we 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 take I would say great pains to make sure they're not overstressed or overhandled. You know, you take it out of the the bag or the in this case the small container and. You get what you get, you know, we're not fooling around with it or taxing it by trying to make it pose impossibly, you know, in some possible situation. No, you pretty much, like you said, you just let the snake ease onto a branch and get and just crawl into a position itself yeah. and and you just work with what you what the snake gives you. There's usually the best poses is work with what the snake gives you and just let it crawl into that pose by itself yeah. instead of placing it there. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, it's they're getting some good pictures with this this other one. To restate the example you just said, we just got that snake pretty late last night. It was brought in, and it'll be released within a few hours. Yes, the, sec- the second long. one. Yes, mm-hmm. got to really get animals in and out quickly. Yeah, yeah, uh, and that's that's um, those are harder to find than bushmasters are um, because we don't find those on every trip. Uh, they're they're tough find. As the color is, like you say, uh, a light bluish green. Sometimes more green, sometimes more blue. It depends on the animal. And uh, they, they don't always stand out way up there in the trees. So tough, tough, uh, tough snake to find. So I also like that you asked about the things that I really like. It's switching classes all the way to amphibia. I like the, the, the monkey frogs and the, the um, trying to think of what some of those other frogs are called as you edit this out. Um, <laughs> the, the, the osteocephalids, I think. Oh, osteocephalus. Yeah. Yeah. Those yeah. osteocephalids, the monkey frogs, the. The barred monkey frog. Sometimes I see one called the convict frog. It might be another name for the same yeah. the same frog. Oh, that's Boana calcarata is the what we call the convict frog or the not to be confused with the tiger leg monkey frog. So which has <laughs> also have bars. Um, yeah, I don't know the frog species as well as the snake species, obviously. And there's a lot of snake species here that on site I still can't recognize. And that's some of the excitement. You're out there following something around with a flashlight and you're not really sure what you have. Yeah. Have to yeah. be real, real careful. Yeah. A little adrenaline rush sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we got a calico snake last night, and we're following it, trying to perceive the banding pattern before we grab it. Right, because it mimics a coral snake. Yep, and it stopped long enough for us to get a look at it. It was obviously not a coral snake head, and then I just, right. just went in and picked it up, and it was a calico snake. Got to be pretty confident of that. We're, there's not medical care anywhere in the vicinity. It's hours away. Yeah. Well, it's a little closer here at Santa Cruz than where we were over at Madre Selva. Yeah, and I, I like uh, just to make a point of this too. Before we go on a trip, we, you know, we use a Facebook group to organize the trip with the people who are going. And Matt likes to play this little game called "Hot or Not," <laughs> you know, and he throws pictures up of coral snakes and then their mimics, and then you know lets people have a look at at, at both of those and kind of become more familiar with what those things look like. Well, they all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> well, I played that game. I went through, I, I got them all right, but you're looking at a picture where you have time to zoom in and look at the head and everything. When you're out there hiking around, you have a snake that is typically trying to get friendly, trying to get away from you, real squirming. You, you really can't even see the banding pattern, A lot, of, especially with them moving fast. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it becomes a lot more difficult. If you're not sure, you just have to assume that it is venomous. And sometimes they get away because of that. We lost a likely coral snake two nights ago because no one, neither one of us on the, the group I was hiking with, actually it was three of us, no one was willing to just jump in and, and grab the snake. And we had a, just one set of bulky tongs that were too long. And the snake right away crawled onto deep leaf litter associated with a stump and was gone. And it was maybe a 10 inch snake to begin with. Okay. That's pretty, a smart thing to do. Pretty confident know. that was a coral snake. Yeah, but if you don't know, there's no there's no shame in not you know moving forward with that. So that's sort of the um, the atmosphere we try to promote, right? You know, it's okay if you don't get it, don't worry about it. We might see you another one tomorrow night. So yeah, safety first. Yeah, this is the wrong place to get bitten. Oh boy, <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding. So it's just tough to get out of here. So uh, let's look back, circle back around to uh, you yourself. You you live in the Phoenix area, right? Is that correct? Yeah, I moved to Phoenix in 2004. Before that, I lived in Gainesville, Florida, and before that, Savannah, Georgia. So I've lived in hurt-rich areas yeah. really since 1993 when I moved to Savannah. And all that was associated with the federal government as I moved around from state to state, doing different jobs for the federal government. And now you're retired. Yeah, retired more than three years ago. Now I've retired just in time for COVID. Ah, uh, yeah. So I finally got my freedom and... I spent my first two years of freedom just sitting around waiting to be able to travel again. I did a lot of local herping in the Arizona area, but really couldn't travel anywhere. Yeah. And you and I kind of were in the same boat, I think. You retired a little, a little after me, and, and uh, but same we faced the same sort of things. Like, uh-oh, uh, not not so free as we thought we would be. Nope. I remember we, we did that hunt in 2014 looking for the Arizona black rattlesnakes. And we, we were talking about our retirements, and it turns out we were within a few months of each other's retirement. We made a pact to do a tropical trip when we retired, <laughs> and then went by the wayside. And I, I said, Mike, remember that trip we were going to do? This is it. It, it, it was. <laughs> yeah. 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 So tell us, um, what are you doing with, you're talking about rattlesnakes out there in, in Arizona. You, you're doing some projects out there with rattlesnakes, correct? Well, the majority of the rattlesnake work has actually been with Marty Martin recently deceased to it by oh, his, yeah. his third timber rattlesnake bite in the east. Mm. Back on August 3rd, he was bitten and succumbed a little over 24 hours later. But I've been, I was herping with him for almost 40 years. And, that's, and you were helping him with some rattlesnake research. That was probably my main herpetological effort so far okay. in my life hundreds of thousands of hours, hundreds of sites. And his study area, his primary study area was the Central Appalachian Mountains from just north of probably Staunton, Virginia, Luray Caverns area up to central Pennsylvania. But the larger area he worked in, went from North Georgia up to upstate New York. And he he knew hundreds of dens and the number was always growing as we found more dens. I found a lot of dens with him, but that was the primary effort. Is a lot of a lot of the data from Marty I collected solo and would just just give him my data, collecting the data the same way he showed me. He taught me a lot about timber rattlesnakes. Back in I met him back in the the early mid nineteen eighties, a long time ago, and it just hurts to lose him. It was just devastating to to, to lose him, and it's not going to be the same this spring when I'm up there in timber rattlesnake country, lacing my boots up, and there's no Marty. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to hear about that. That was a, a number of people have expressed their uh, sadness over losing him. Yeah, he was recognized as the world's leading field biologist on timber rattlesnakes overall. There's a lot of people that are in, that are specializing in certain aspects of timber rattlesnake biology in certain geographic areas, but he's pretty much recognized as the grandfather of all of it. Okay. But the other studies you were talking about, in Arizona, I'm helping Brian Hughes with a rattlesnake survey of the Phoenix Mountain Parks. He talked about that on one of your other podcast episodes. Yeah. So it's it's a lot to cover. It's it's thousands upon thousands of acres of, of parkland, even in the middle of the city. 
and there's just a lot of habitat to cover, harsh, harsh weather. Snakes can be hard to find at certain times of the year. A lot of legwork, just trying to find them and relocate them. And also, is are Gila monsters included in that, or is it strictly We're recording when we see them. Okay. It's non, I mean, all the herps we see are being recorded. GPS, right. we collect weather for them. But the, the primary interest in that particular study is the, the rattlesnakes. So you're learning a lot about the western species, the Arizona species now. Yeah, it's in addition to timbers, doing a lot of work. You're still with, doing some work with timbers. Oh, I'll be over there. We're going to have a long trip this year because we're, we're dealing with Marty's data. Me and several other colleagues spent several days at his house cleaning out his office to safeguard all of his data and his range maps and everything. We have to do something with that. Right now it's just sitting in storage. And then his wife actually approached me and asked me to spread his ashes out at a couple of den sites. Okay, so aside so, from field work and all, there's, there's a lot of... You have uh, some meaningful business to take yeah, care it's, of. It's, yeah. Some of it will be happy, some of it will be sad. It's, sure. I mean, nothing lasts forever, but it's going to change my timber rattlesnake world. Yeah. But yeah. in addition to the work with Brian, I, in 2020, I couldn't visit the timber rattlesnake sites because of COVID. And that's when I decided I want to want to want to pretty much have a similar project in Arizona. So I started going out and looking for Arizona black rattlesnakes, and they hunt a lot like timbers. And I very quickly found a lot of dens and a whole lot of Arizona black rattlesnakes. Oh, really? So it's my timber replacement project. So you're coming up to speed on uh, the habits and peculiarities of that species now. The, in some ways, they're quite different. They don't bask anywhere near as much as timber rattlesnakes. Right. And dens are sometimes hard to identify because you'll have a nice den crevice, absolutely chock full of Arizona black rattlesnakes, but they don't show themselves. It's usually low humidity, sunny weather, and they don't need to. So you'll have a den right. crevice full of snakes. And unless you set up a game camera or happen to get there during a lucky cloudy day or after a rain or something, you just don't see them. I see. And the, the, a lot of the geology there, the, the crevices curve. The, the crevices in the, the part of the Appalachian Mountains where we're working is weaving in quartzite and greenstone tends to have very straight crevices you can look way back into. Okay. Whereas the rock formations where I'm hunting up on the Mogollon Rim looking for these Arizona black rattlesnakes, the, the crevices tend to curve. I mean, very quickly. Oh. You can only look back in a lot of these crevices a few inches. And if the snakes are sitting back further than that, you, you literally can't see the snakes unless they're out in front of the crevice or their heads are hanging out. So it's you can mess a den for years and be walking right by it. So uh, this requires some diligence and effort. And they're also, yeah, that's correct. And they're also denning in a couple of cases, a couple of occasions I've found dens where they they face straight north which is shocking at 6,000 feet. Huh, interesting. But that's the, nevertheless, it's a place for them to, to spend the winter. Well, usually when, when there's a north-facing den, there's an, an associated crevice that goes to the south end of the same rock. And the den faces north, they, the place they can get underground is safe from the cold weather and the snow and everything. But they can remain in that crevice and pop out on the south side of a rock. In one case, that den crevice is way over our heads. A friend I was with looked up one time. We we were actually looking at the the chins of Arizona black rattlesnakes hanging out of this crevice in the shade. And he said, "What are those guys doing up there?" Oh wow! We thought it was a transient situation until we relocated those snakes. It was in, it was November, and it had already been cold, and it's clearly a den crevice. Okay, huh? So some really interesting situations. And then there's other ones that are more classic, whether it's a, a bouldery scree or a den under a huge boulder, and they're a lot more classic than some of the more difficult situations I just described. Yeah. And also, you know, um, 
when you were doing timber work, you have the benefit of some shade once in a while. Tree cover. We have the, tree cover. Yeah, the mesophytic forest, which is the majority of the habitat. You you actually are in the shade. You know, once you're out, a lot of the dens and the, the gestation sites, the shedding rocks, things like that. A lot of the, that is exposed to wide open sun. But getting there, you were in the shade. Yeah. But in Ar- in Arizona, you've got to take uh, extra precautions and extra water and the right gear and the right hat and the right everything. Yeah, it's a little different in Phoenix. That's you pretty much count on almost no shade. Now, you'll have some shade just based on the, the rock formations and terrain and things like that, especially where the snakes are. Once you're in, when you're in the Mogollon Rim, you do have the Ponderosa pine forest there and some okay. other tree species. So there is partial shade, but it's going to be a lot hotter and sunnier overall than what you're doing with the timber rattlesnakes. But probably equal amounts of hiking into the place. Well, the timber rattlesnake hikes, the sites I know of so far, the timber rattlesnake sites tend to be much longer hikes and much more elevational gain getting into them. Oh, really? Okay. Whereas the, the what we call, I call them Arizona black rattlesnakes, but we also call them Serbs from from Crotalus Cerberus, which is their, their genus and species name. Mm-hmm. We just call them Serbs. Serbs. Those sites, it tends to be a lot more rolling terrain. It's a big, it is a rock scramble. There's a lot of sometimes bus, van, and house-sized boulders to scramble either between or over getting in and out of these sites. And there are a few climbs that are up to a few hundred feet, but you don't have the big 2,000-foot climb like you might have for a timber rattlesnake site in the Shenandoah. And there are Serb sites like that for sure. Hmm. So either way, that's hot, sweaty work. Yeah, it forces you you to stay in shape. That's one (laughs) advantage of herping is if you want to get to your sites and do something besides road hunt, you better stay in shape. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much forced good diet, forced exercise, Lots of water. Yeah, a lot of water. And one of the Phoenix hikes is a nine-liter hike. Nine liters. I don't even take a camera on that hike because I can't, I can't, can't carry a camera and nine liters of water. Wow. So it's an iPhone hike and nine liters of water, and it's still not enough. And I've had times I get back from a hike, and even despite having that much water, you sit down to drive your truck away from the parking lot, the only vehicle out there because no one else is that crazy, and your leg sees up. And you can't even sit down to drive your truck until you rehydrate and get electrolytes in your body. And it's been a good 45 minutes to an hour sometimes before I can drive home. Wow. It is really dehydrating conditions. So you've really got to be careful, pay attention to your body and and bring the correct, not only just the right amount of water, but you know you need, you need to restore your, like you say, restore your electrolyte balance. So uh, there's, there's a lot of care you have to take in order to not become a, another casualty. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Every year we sadly have... At least several, in some cases, more than several hikers die in the Phoenix Mountain Parks. And it's usually in the spring before it's really hot out. It's usually tourist season. People that come from Europe or northern states, and they'll ascend one of the local mountain hikes with a, be about a 1,200 to 1,500-foot, well, really I should say 1,200-foot climb. There's two mountains that are 1,200-plus feet in the Phoenix area where a lot of these fatalities occur. And they'll go with six or eight ounces of water, short sleeve shirt, no hat, Proper dress is actually intuitive. I mean, it's not intuitive, I should say. Long sleeve shirt, long pants, broad brim hat, plenty of water, electrolytes, some snacks, things like that. And you, it just doesn't seem like that's what you should do because you're trying to cool off. You don't want all that clothing on you, but you you sweat into that clothing and the surface area of that clothing evaporating the sweat and the low humidity is what keeps you cool. I got you. Okay. So, and so it keeps you from burning and all that stuff too. Yeah, that, that also. I also just carry SPF 100 sunblock. And apply it liberally multiple times during my hike. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and that's something uh, 
most people who live in Phoenix kind of get that. They kind of understand that, it, but it's the visitors who have the trouble because they don't—they're not schooled or they haven't been told how to how to handle this, this environment. You'll figure it figure it out once you're in Arizona and you you meet another herper who's a seasoned herper who's been there for a while. <laughs> you'll notice that you're wearing almost identical clothing, maybe a different brand name, but it'll be similar construction, similar sleeve length, similar color, just conversion evolution. <laughs> yeah. It almost looks like a military outfit. And I think what you're wearing now is kind of what you wear in the field. Exactly. Yeah. Same clothing. Yeah. You got the khaki uh, pants and a long sleeve shirt and, and a nice wide hat and, uh, you know, the perfect gear for, for running around out there. Yeah, it's pretty oppressive in this humidity, but it's less oppressive than being chewed up by mosquitoes. Oh, there is that too. <laughs> yeah. We, we do have mosquitoes here. So, you know, you prepare for them, treat your clothes with permethrin. I've only used bug spray until right coming down the hill to do this interview. I'd only applied bug spray twice this entire trip. Okay. And so, part of it's the dress and pre treat the clothes with yeah. permethrin. Yeah. Un, un, unlike me, who I'm sitting here in my shorts and the mosquitoes are buzzing around trying to eat me alive. But, uh, but I, I get what you're, what you're saying. Uh, your experiences down here are, are sort of, uh, opposite of your experiences at home in many ways. And do you think you want to do some more travel and to other places? Absolutely. I'd like to come back here again. There's yeah. there's so many species here. The diversity here, as many times as people come here, it's it takes quite a few trips to see a really big share of what's available here. There's yes. just hundreds of species of herps available, and some of them are rarely seen. You have a bunch of them on the list you haven't seen yet down here that That's could correct. be in the area. It's it's the thing. It's amazing how how scarce and rare they can seem to be, and then they suddenly turn up. Yeah, and then you know, you get these days where it's sweltering and it hasn't rained much, and things just kind of disappear, and then you get a big burst of rain, and stuff starts popping out. And it's amazing that what they consider dry here. Apparently, it's still soaking wet. All the trails are muddy. You're <laughs> sliding all over the place on clay, but yeah. it's by rainforest standards, this is dry. Yeah, yeah, it is. So. And the river's down a good fifteen feet from what it was last time I was here. Yeah, this has uh, been an odd year. The Kiskadees are going at it over there. It's been kind of an odd year in terms of the, uh, the water levels, but we managed to to make things work and get where we needed to go. So, and then Phoenix, you get a quarter of an inch of rain, and things just go berserk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another thing that people have to, you know, visitors have to either learn to manage or or, or fall afoul of is the, you know, high water crossings on on roads and things like that. Yeah, you know, we had a situation this past monsoon. We had in some areas in Arizona, it was the wettest monsoon on record. We're almost stranded in the Huachuca Mountains overnight by a, an incredibly torrential, heavy, persistent, prolonged rain on the west flank of the of the Huachuca Mountains. We got across the wash. It's a common place a lot of herpers go to. Had just gotten across the wash, and. We're taking a video of how fast the water's rising, and we're not paying attention to the car. And we turn around, and the, the water's already up to the tires of the car. And we're running for the car with the video still running, and back the car up, and then had to move the car again. And the water ended up being over five feet deep. And what is usually a, just a slow trickle, in some cases, has been dry in recent years. And then trees started coming down. Oh, boy. It was absolutely, I, I got to show you that video when we're done here. It's amazing. And then there was two more canyons to get across getting out of there, and we thought we were going to spend the night. It takes a while for the water to come down. Yeah, we were stuck for hours. We thought we were going to be there all night. Yeah, well, it's better to to do that than to try to attempt the crossing because you don't know what's happened if the road's washed out under that water. Yeah, you can't even tell. Yeah, 
And we had an SUV with with decent ground clearance. We waited for the locals with the the big um, the four by four trucks with the lift kits. Waited until they could make it through. Ah, okay. To help gauge how high the water was, then we marked the shoreline with rocks and to keep track of how much lower the water was going from that point. Oh, and eventually got nice, out. That's a nice idea. Yeah. <laughs> but we really thought we were spending the night there, and it was a really wet monsoon, and we we were nearly nearly trapped two other times. Hmm. Just that same week, that was with James Adams. Okay. At some point, he he does his own Peruvian tours, but he may end up down here at some point because he's not seeing Bushmasters on his tours. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, you're not. It's funny. You, you just can't walk into the forest anywhere and find them for some reason. No, that's <laughs> very common here. Yeah, that's the main attraction for for this particular tour here. It's like that book Dan Etherly wrote. It's a recent book, 2015. Raymond Dittmore's the what's hunt. The, what's the name of the book? Raymond Dittmore's The Hunt for the World's Largest Viper. You have a copy up there in the main building. Ah, okay. I might have butchered that title by one oh, or two I, words. I think it has Bushmaster in the title. Yeah, it's, yeah, Bush, yeah, correct. It's Bushmaster, Ray Dittmore's The Hunt for the World's Largest Pit Viper. I mean, largest viper, not pit viper. The word pit's not in the title, but. Yeah. In any case, I've read that book at least three times and just became enthralled with it. And he actually never did find a Bushmaster in the wall. It was a lot more, a lot rougher then. We're in the golden age of jet travel. Or the, <laughs> he didn't have that benefit. A lot of his no. stories are time on trains and old old rickety cars and boats and all just getting in and out of the habitats. Yeah. Steamer ships. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that book, uh, the original story, you know, Dittmars himself wrote about the Bushmaster uh, and... Uh, those stories when I was a kid, it was like, you know, you know, where do I have to go to see one of those? Do I go to Trinidad? Because I think his Bushmaster came from Trinidad. The first the one, one he had shipped in, did Yeah, the one that was sent to him. But uh, so actually see one in a wild is, is uh, kind of brings that home, circles it back to, the, you know, 12-year-old me reading Dittmars about exactly. Bushmasters. I could have mentioned that just as well in the beginning of this interview with that nine-year-old garter snake. When I was nine, seeing that garter <laughs> snake and the Golden Guide and my first look at the Peterson Guide, the Dittmars books with the Bushmaster were in there too. Yeah, and no, I think if we want to mention the book, for me, the book, the book that I'm talking about is called uh, Thrills of a Naturalist's Quest, which is kind of an awkward, uh, it seems like an awkward title these days, but back then it was, uh, you know, very fitting. So Thrills of a Naturalist's Quest, and the, the chapter I think was called the, uh, what was it called, the Episode of the Bushmaster or something like that. Or Yeah, there, yeah. that is one of the chapter names in that book. Yeah. But chapter 13 in the Dan Eagley book I just mentioned is the main thing is the Bushmaster. Yeah. It's on page 221 of the current printing. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked at it. But that's the main thing with these trips. The main attraction is the Bushmaster. Yeah. And we so far we've seen five of them. <laughs> so you want to come back down sometime. That's good to hear. Yeah, that would be nice. Okay. All right. Well, Brian people, won't have to twist your arm next time. No. Well, he, he did it again <laughs> this trip. I didn't even, hadn't even mentioned that yet. He, he asks. well, actually, he said you want to go to Peru. And I, there was an expletive in there, but it ended with yes. <laughs> I, won't, I won't repeat exactly what I said. It wasn't as hard this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm here twice, thanks to Brian Hughes. Good. All right. Well, Rich, it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, Likewise, about Mike. Uh, your childhood and about the, your experience with the Bushmaster. I'm glad you got to have a ch shot seeing one by yourself. And Yeah, that's, uh, again, a different thrill to come on down and try to accomplish that. When there's a lot of good herpers here. We have a really good crew. And that helps a lot, too. Experienced yeah, eyeballs. 
And just motivation to get out and under harsh and often uncomfortable conditions to, to get out there and really look at the forest and see what's going on. Yeah, we all go home tomorrow. So can't last forever. No, no. And I'm ready to go home. I haven't been home. I left home at almost four weeks ago. So I'm ready to go home. Well, I left December 6th for Christmas with my dad and my family and everything. And when I say family, I mean brothers and my dad. I'm single. Mm-hmm. No family of my own. But in any case, then I had a brief bounce in the Phoenix briefly long enough to pack my bags, and here I am. Here you so are. I need time. And I still have Christmas cards to open. I mean, all of them. I haven't opened a single Christmas card <laughs> oh, yet. Okay. So I'm running behind, too. Okay. There is some attraction to, to returning home, but then as soon as you're you're back in Phoenix or back to Illinois, in your case, you want to be back here. <laughs> yeah. 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 In my case, I'll be back in three and a half weeks, so. Yeah, I'll oh, probably boy. be out with Brian by then, looking at Gila Monsters and... The other Aatrox, Cortalis Aatrox. Here's, okay. here's both Rob's Aatrox. Yeah. When they've been scarce this trip too. We have not seen a, a, a lancehead, no. Absolutely puzzling. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, uh, the previous tour, we um, two weeks or um, three weeks ago, we saw f- five parrot snakes and, and many of them around the camp uh, in trees and things. And we haven't seen a single one on this trip, so... A few weeks later, there's there's none. So I I can't explain the sudden abs sudden presence or the sudden absence of things uh, any more than you can. <laughs> well, their ability to disappear in this habitat with so many skilled herpetologists looking for them. Yeah, you think one would just turn up by accident? You'd think, um, but so I don't. Yeah, it's a mystery. Yeah, their ability to disappear is is absolutely shocking. Yeah, as Matt says, they're they're everywhere and nowhere, just like the boas. Yeah. The boa constrictor, that is. We've seen a lot of rainbow boas this trip. We have. I think we're getting close to 10. Yeah. We've seen a lot amazing. of them, including three neonates, or three three recent neonates. Yeah. So, so if you're a rainbow boa fan and you come down here, you, you, chances are pretty good you'll you'll be happy. And the Amazon tree boas, I think we've seen six of those so far. Yeah. Yeah. So, including that yellow one. Yeah. The banana snake. Yeah. It looks, it looks like a banana. Yeah. Gorgeous. Gorgeous snake. I didn't know they came in that color phase until we saw that one. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're not as common as some of the other more um, ordinary colors patterns. I should so say a lot of variety, even with some of the species missing this trip, with incredible variety. Yeah, yeah, you guys have done really well. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on the show and talking to me, and uh, wish you a pleasant trip home. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Same to you. Happy to be here, and hoping to get back in the future. Okay, all right, very good. So before we wrap this up, I want to talk a little bit about Bushmasters 1 and 7, since I didn't get to interview anyone about their experiences with those snakes. So the Amazon Basin was unusually dry in January for our first trip, and the river levels were so low that we could not reach our Madre Selva field station, which is about 60 miles or 100 kilometers downriver. So instead, we spent all of our time at the Santa Cruz field station near Quitos, so We get to Santa Cruz, we get everyone settled in, and that first night, the heavens opened up and some heavy rains fell, you know, finally. 
And uh, some folks went out in the wet to see what might be moving. And uh, one of our clients, uh, I believe it was Ben, came back to the field station with news of a Bushmaster. Uh, so we were all excited. And the, the snake was adjacent to the trail, maybe several hundred meters from the field station. And uh, we managed to round up everyone to go see the Shushupe. Turns out it was less than a meter off the trail, and everyone got a chance to come up and have a peek and take some photos and video in the, on the pouring rain. It was raining very hard still, and the snake was actively drinking rainwater from its coils, uh, which was cool to watch, and I shot a little video of that. This was a small snake, uh, as Bushmasters go, maybe a meter in length, and hard to tell because we, we really didn't disturb the snake in any way. And uh, there's always a little pressure about finding a Bushmaster for our clients, uh, especially as the trip progresses. So it was nice to check that box on the first night. Doesn't happen that way much. And we didn't find another one uh, throughout the trip, although as per usual, we found a lot of other cool herbs. So fast forward to February and the third and final trip. And, uh, you know, one night Matt took a group out on the boat and on the river to look for tree bows and caimans. And so I hit the long trail loop with uh, Sean and Brandon Vaught, whom you may remember them from uh, way back in episode 21. Uh, now, the long trail is, is circular. It comes back to the field station eventually, and uh, we took it from the right-hand side, uh, heading counterclockwise, while our buddy Christoph led a small group on the same trail going clockwise. So our two groups would meet up somewhere out in the back of the back, and that's always fun. You know, check and see what, what you found, what other the other group has found. But uh, anyway, I've learned over the years to let the clients lead so that if anything cool turns up, they get to find it first. And uh, this paid off in a big way when Sean hollered, Bushmaster! Uh, and it was off to the right, maybe five meters from the trail and coiled up like a Mayan step pyramid, as they sometimes do. So on seeing the snake, my first thought was, that's Moby Dick, uh, which was a huge snake encountered on her second trip a few weeks earlier. Eight feet long, heavy-bodied, and with a peculiar gray background color instead of the usual, the, uh, usual rusty brown color. Uh, and Kristoff uh, had named the snake, by the way. Uh, so I didn't want to disturb the snake if possible, but I sure wanted people to see it. So I asked Sean and Brandon, uh, after the initial excitement died a little bit, I asked them to stay back from the snake and uh, keep an eye on it while I ran up the trail. So I take off trotting up the trail, and of course, I'm built for comfort and not for speed, but uh, eventually... I run into Kristoff and his party, and I lead them back to where the snake was. And so at least some folks in the group would get to see this awesome snake. But then there's where, you know, taking photographs. I wondered if Matt and his group were back yet, and maybe I could get some of them out there and, and join in the fun. So uh, I headed back to camp uh, clockwise, back down the trail. And uh, uh, close to the field station, I ran to a couple folks from the boat trip, and, uh, you know, they were back. And but uh, most of the group were out on another trail, the river trail. And so I sent those folks in the right direction back up the trail towards the Bushmaster. And then I ran down to the river trail and I was hollering to get everybody's attention. And long story short, I managed to get everyone else up the trail to see the Bushmaster. Um, and the snake had remained where it was and everybody kept their distance and, and got good photos of an in-situ Bushmaster. And, uh, and we figured out from photos... Uh, comparing photos from the previous trip that this snake was not Moby Dick. Uh, it did have that odd gray background color, but the head markings were very different and it was perhaps maybe a foot, a foot and a half shorter. So I decided to call her Moby Jane. And it was a good thing that all the clients got to see her because Moby Jane turned out to be the only Bushmaster of that trip. 
So for me, the uh, first and last Bushmasters were great experiences. Everyone on the tour got to see them. And while both snakes were aware of our presence, they, they weren't touched or manipulated, and we were able to keep our distance and still have a, a great time with them. Uh, and the rain-drinking Bushmaster was still there early in the next day, but uh, later on it moved you know, at some point. And uh, Moby Jane was gone the next morning, you know, probably retreating to some hiding place for the day as they do. So these two snakes were really nice bookends for the whole seven Bushmaster spread. Hey there, it's me again. I hope you enjoyed this collection of Bushmaster stories. I want to thank Jill Riles, Michael Moffat, Jeff Martineau, Burke Martineau, and Richard Laguerre for sitting down with me in the hot and sweaty rainforest to talk about their Bushmaster experiences. I also want to say thanks to Matt Cage and Christoph Meyer for the parts they played in these tales. This was a singular experience for me, and while I'm sure we will find more Bushmasters on upcoming trips, I'm also pretty certain that seven is a number that won't be surpassed. Prove me wrong, but I think that's probably not going to fall. Uh, the best part for me is being present when so many people saw their first Bushmaster, and that's been happening for a decade now, and I hope it continues. Thanks for listening, everyone. That's it for episode 84. Not the longest episode I put out, but certainly one of the longer ones. And thanks again to Jill, Michael, Jeff, Burke, and Rich for talking with me. I really appreciate y'all. And thanks once again to Darren Riedel for supporting the show. And as always, I want to say thanks to all of the So Much Pingle patrons who keep the show rolling on into the future. And if you would like to kick in a few bucks to help support the show, it's easy to do. And it costs about as much as a cup of delicious coffee. Just go to patreon.com slash so much pinkle and so much pinkle is all one word. You can also make one-time contributions via PayPal or Venmo. Just drop me an email to so much pinkle at gmail.com for more details. And don't forget that you can find all of the recorded episodes and show notes at so much And you can also join the so much pinkle Facebook group to follow the show and interact with me and some of my guests. I say it every time, but I do like hearing from folks. I'd like to hear your thoughts and opinions, your guest suggestions, whatever it is you got. And you can email me at somuchpinkle at gmail.com. And also, please note that I am on Instagram and Mastodon now under the So Much Pingle handle. And until we meet again, please take good care of yourselves. And don't forget to hurt better. <laughs>